strange times for sure. Sportsnet 960, the fan is here for you. No sports, no problem. Pinder and Steinberg continues right now on Sportsnet 960, the fan. Happy Monday as the pandemic grind continues. Day number what of the sporting apocalypse, Mr. Pinder? This is day 47 of the sports apocalypse, Pat, and what a beautiful day it is. It's a nice day outside. It's a gorgeous weekend. Uh, it, it, yeah. it seems like there's some forward momentum to things gradually starting to change around the world, across the country, in this continent, so on and so forth. How was the uh, how was the weekend, my friend? Weekend was very good. Lots of bike rides. You know, the usual. I actually stumbled into a, a Beastie Boys documentary, kind of, that was actually um, the two living members of the Beastie Boys in a theater hall in Brooklyn talking about how they came to be and uh, talking about their third member who passed away, I want to say like a year or two ago. But uh, yeah, I just good weekend. I'm ready to dive into some Last Dance tonight as uh, I believe we got another set of episodes dropped on ESPN yesterday in the States, which if my logic is correct, hasn't been Canada today. And uh, yeah, we were, what's funny with the weather is it's been sunny and it's been no snow and it's been very spring-like, but we still haven't got over 20 officially. And Wednesday could set the record of 220 consecutive days without well, getting to 20 are, degrees. You really, like you love that thing. Like you love that. Stat. It's amazing because if you just felt like it was a miserable run of weather, like yeah, it's been okay, but not great. Is there like try explaining that to people that don't live in countries that have winter for you know six to eight months that you could go you know, 220 days of consecutively without reaching 20 degrees Celsius. And then once we set the record Wednesday, potentially, then we can just rock 30 until September. Good deal. You in on that? I, I It looks like they're going to hit uh, 21 on Wednesday. So if it hits we'll 20 on Wednesday, does the record not get set? It would tie the record of 219 okay. days, I believe. Because high 21 so on Wednesday, high 17 yeah. today. 17 tomorrow, 21 on Wednesday. Uh, you care about that record a whole lot more than I do because I've been wearing shorts and enjoying the uh, the outdoor weather I thoroughly over the last week or so. So, so I'll take it even if our it's move, uh, not 20 degrees on the nose. The move has been in the mornings. We got uh, south-facing front lawn. We go sit on the front step, eat breakfast. We got some music going. We'll play some soccer. They put the basketball hoop up there, the old Fisher Price basketball hoop, whatever it is, um, playing cards. Like we've been wearing clothes like it's been 25. Imagine if people are going to react when it actually gets to 25. I mean, 19 is basically everyone's like acting like it's 30. Like people rolling around. With, I saw a dude in a run that have no shirt on. I'm like, all right, like this is, I love it. We are so ready. I was for out summer. for a walk yesterday. Uh, there were three bros at uh, Western Canada, uh, the high school, just off 17th. Um, mm-hmm. and uh, in the big football field, and uh, three shirtless dudes working out. I was like, okay, well, I guess it's that warm. Um, it's not really the move that I would do, but uh, hey, there's three bros shirtless workouts. It's uh, apparently it's that uh, it's that type of season. So people are embracing in whatever way they feel like it. People are embracing the warm weather. I'm I'm all for it. And yeah. and 
I'll, I'll be perfectly honest. Good weekend. I enjoyed myself. Had a few drinks. Uh, did some writing. Uh, got some exercise in. Um, was was a fairly productive weekend. Uh, had had a shift at the other gig. Like it was all. It was a fairly solid, uh, fairly solid weekend. So I'm feeling good. What about you, Logo? How are things? Uh, how are things trending for you? Good weekend, my man. Yeah, it was pretty good. It wasn't. Uh nearly as productive as I felt like some other weekends, but it was good to just rest and relax and catch up on some Netflix. I did uh, watch the first couple episodes of Last Dance, and uh, that is awesome and is my new obsession. And like Pinder, I'm very excited for uh, tonight. I think I'm going to start it this week. That'll give me enough time to catch up and, and feel like I can binge it. So I'm looking forward to watching that. Uh, in about five minutes' time, we will hear from the newest signed member of the Calgary Flames as they signed 2018 sixth-round pick Emilio Peterson to an entry-level contract today. He just finished his sophomore season at uh, DU um and and playing ncaa hockey so he's made the decision to turn pro we'll talk to him at 10 after two so about five minutes time uh but a, tw- a text comes in at 960960 uh john scott tweeted that nhl training camps will be starting up on june 1st any validity to this he did indeed tweet that uh a little while ago and that is uh, kind of the buzz right now in the nhl world pinder nba facilities will start opening sometime in early may i believe may 8th is when they are set to start opening up team facilities and different spots and the word from around the nhl and and from those that i've spoken to is that uh around that same time is when they want players back from europe so that they can have time to quarantine them for 14 days uh and have players go into a a mandatory self-isolation for two weeks so they can start a training camp in early june and start a season or a resumption of the season in late June, early July. That's what the NHL is aiming towards. Uh, they're going to go, I, I believe they're going to go forward with that, obviously knowing that there's no guarantee it's it's going to be able to happen, but I do believe they're going to put um, all the things in place that they can and need to to make that happen. It looks like they're going to try. Whether or not it works, uh, that, that remains to be seen, and I think the caveat always is with any of this is that, okay, Try is the operative word, but they're uh, they're they're doing this. They're uh, they're pushing forward with uh, resuming the season in the next number of months. Yeah, well, and we understand why they're missing a billion dollars in a five billion dollar business. So, uh, if they're going to be granted the status that they need in certain regions and can try to get some of that money back, we understand why they'd want to do that. Um, and so here we are again, another week later, and a little more clarity of what things could look like, but. I don't know that um, we're anywhere near the finish line so much as at least trying to figure out where the starting blocks will be for this thing, right? I think that we have a, a much better idea as to kind of what the framework is for cities, uh, quarantined in hotels, um, and, and that type of thing, you know, what four cities those are going to be, the finalized stuff. Uh, there's a lot of and, – and we got Elliot Friedman coming up at the bottom of the hour, so Emilio Peterson joins us at 2.10, and then uh, in about 20 minutes' time, Elliot Friedman will join us with all the details on this but you know there's a lot of things that have to be finalized right there have, there have to be um the not only the ability to but the capacity to test players on a regular basis and not have those tests interfere with testing for 
at-risk people and healthcare workers and frontline workers and stuff like that. Those people still have to take the largest priority. So, for instance, in Alberta, um, if if Edmonton does end up getting cleared and they can do it in Edmonton, like has been rumored, and they've got however many teams in Edmonton and and quarantine there, well, Canada, rather Alberta, is is saying that they're going to have capacity for twenty thousand tests a day sometime in May that's the case well then you probably have capacity to test 500 nhl personnel uh, a couple times a week and not have it interfere at all with those who need it more and and the truly important people who need the testing but that's got to be the case in all of your markets so that that's just one of the different hurdles that they're going to have to clear there's a lot of pitfalls you've brought up many times what happens if a player tests positive and all that type of stuff there's a lot of things a lot of contingencies a lot of things in uh I's to dot, T's to cross, but at the very least, we're starting to see a little bit more of a framework of what this thing might look like. Yeah, well, and hey, we'll, we'll see. It's still a ways away. We we don't know what a setback looks like. We don't know what, you know, the other thing that I saw on the weekend that I found interesting is there's a lot of people that have played the sport that said three weeks is way too long for a training camp. That doesn't make sense. What? That where you would be at. people in, said that, yeah. That in, in two weeks, what's the third week getting you that you aren't already at? Like if you're at 92% at two weeks, you're at 95 at three weeks, shouldn't we just get things rolling here after a two-week training camp? Um, I found that interesting. I don't know. Like I, I don't really have any feels towards any of this except that like we'll see how this plays out. We really don't know what the future yeah. looks like. We haven't been very good at predicting what things will look like two weeks down the road. So, you know, you tell me how June looks, but I don't have a clue. Be interesting. Uh, that's certainly one thing that has taken up a lot of the news cycle. The NBA's made some news. Formula One has decided when they're uh, aiming at uh, coming back. Uh, Major League Baseball continues to figure out how they're going to start their season. There's a lot more percolating in that respect as things move along here. It's Pinder and Steinberg on a Monday afternoon. My name is Pat Steinberg. His name is Ryan Pinder. Logan Gordon's back at Sportsnet 960 World Control. The Calgary Flames made some news today. They have signed 2018 sixth round pick Emilio Peterson to his entry level contract coming off a great sophomore season uh, playing NCAA hockey at Denver 35 points in 36 games and Emilio joins us on the line right now Emilio thanks for doing this congratulations how's it uh, feel to have your first NHL contract signed oh it feels amazing and thanks for having me guys well, no problem, and, and, and it's good to chat with you. Tell us how this all came about and, and how you decided to put pen to paper here. Uh, it was just, uh, you know, a collective decision between me, Calgary, and my agent. And, uh, you know, it was just uh, felt like it was the right thing for me, and uh, I'm excited to take the next step. How difficult a decision was it to not go back to Denver and forego a third year playing NCAA hockey. That had to have been the the biggest and, and the most difficult decision I would think of this whole process. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm, I'm leaving something great behind. Uh, and, uh, you know, I could only thank my coaches and my teammates for the past two years. And, uh, you know, I'll forever be grateful for being a pioneer and uh, being a part of the great organization and school of Denver. Uh, and of course it's a, it's a hard thing to leave, uh, all of my best friends there, but, uh, that's, that's what it is. And, um, you know, uh, I'm like, like I said, I'm, I'm happy I was there and, uh, and it was a privilege. What were the factors that led to the decision? 
Uh, there's a lot of factors that played in, but uh, all in all, it was mostly just, uh, you know, Calgary felt that I could develop at the next level and, um, and I felt like I was ready and it was, it, it feels, feels really good right now. And it feels like I've made the right decision and I'm just super proud and happy. You take a look at, you know, what you've been able to accomplish in your two years playing in the NCAA and even the jumps you've made from uh, the USHL to the NCAA. How, how ready do you feel to take that next step and, and be a professional hockey player? Uh, I feel ready. I feel confident. I feel feel that I'm ready to take the next step. Obviously, you can't never be too ready to go to the next level. You're, you're, you got to, you know, not, not to feel things out, but you – you don't exactly know how it is until you get there, but, you know, you just try to get ready and, um, you know, have as much confidence as possible. So that's basically it. And, you know, um, yeah. You've had, you've played a couple of years uh, or, or come to development camp for a couple of years with the Flames since being drafted in 2018. How, how much of a feel do you have for what the jump will be to the American League and, and North American pro hockey? Uh, well, it's, you know, as close as I can get. I mean, I've been to the dev camps and I've uh, watched watched games. Uh, you know, I I could I could get as close as I get, and uh, by going to the dev camps and just watching the the speed of play. I mean, you know, college hockey is a great great area for growth, and I feel that uh, college hockey has prepared me well for for the next level. And the coaches I've had at Denver has been you know, uh, telling me about things and, uh, you know, really just pushing me to be better. So, you know, you can't, can't really know too much, but you, yeah. you, you work your ass off and you, you try to be ready. What's the hockey experience like at Denver? Tell us about being a pioneer. Oh, it's unreal. We have probably one of the best fans in college hockey, loyal fans and great season ticket holders. And, uh, you know, we, Playing at Denver is just truly something special. It's a winning culture. It's a great culture, and you know they're all about the process. And it's a it's not a it's not something that happens overnight. And the work they do there is just uh, second to none. Newly signed Calgary Flames forward Emilio Peterson with us on Pinder and Steinberg this afternoon. Emilio, we talked about your recent decision, the one that was just announced today that you're going to go pro, you've signed with the Flames, but there's a couple other ones that would have been fascinating to ask you about uh, earlier in your career. When did you make the decision to come over from Norway to North America? And then I guess when you had success at the the, uh, USHL level, the decision to choose Denver versus some other programs, I'm sure, that were available to you. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I committed to Denver when I was 14, (laughs) so I didn't really have... um... Uh, you know, any other schools on me. Uh, it was just, uh, you know, I chose to come to the U.S. and, and uh, my dad and my mom and everyone made the sacrifices not to see me for a bit. But, you know, I made the sacrifice and I wanted to do something special and do something different from what other other friends of mine had done. And, uh, you know, it paid off. And I, and I you know, it's, it's all about hard work from then. Uh, I had great people around me that, you know, supported me up through, uh, going to college and in college. So it was just, uh, you know, it's a, it was a long road, but uh, now I'm here and I'm excited for what's next. So you're what, 14, 15 years old when you make that decision? That's a, that's a big life decision for, I, I can't imagine putting uh, most of society into their, that, those kind of decisions at 14, but that sounds like something you were ready for. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, I would probably say first that uh, that uh, my my dad and mom was a little crazy sending me off, but uh, you know, I could only thank them. I mean, they're they're the ones that uh, lined me up for this, and uh, you know, I'm forever appreciative of that. Who have you looked up to in Norwegian hockey? We've seen uh, a few Norwegians, but not a ton uh, relative to your Scandinavian neighbors. Do you have uh, someone that you always looked up to as a kid playing in Norway? Yeah, I mean, you always have those, uh, you know, a few guys that you look up to when you're younger. Like, obviously, Zuccarello is one of them. He's doing great in the NHL, and he's our only Norwegian at the, at the time now. So, I mean, he's obviously been a huge uh, huge uh, role model for me. But, you know, it comes, like, when I was even younger than that, uh, it was guys like Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, like those guys that really, you know, um, I really looked up to and loved watching play. So it, there's definitely been a few guys, but, um, you know, it's just uh, <laughs> just guys that you really look up to from when you're young and you want to be like, right? And if fans uh, are trying to figure out what kind of player you are, how would you describe yourself? And, and would you say there's a guy whose game you try to model yourself after? Oh, I wouldn't say there's any specific player that I model against. or I, I don't really think about that at all. But I like to think of myself as a playmaker and um, like having the puck on my stick and, you know, uh, go from there. I, I, I've gained a lot of power in my stride over the last few years and, um, you know, I used that to my ability and, um, you know, overall just playmaker. What's the, uh, the last, uh, month and a half been like, where have you been and how have you handled the, uh, the, the pandemic here that we're all going through? Yeah, I've been at my girlfriend's house in New Jersey since I haven't, you know, I didn't really think as much of <clears throat> the situation right away. You really, really just didn't believe it. Right. And you had to leave school. And I didn't want to take the risk of going home because then home to Norway, uh, because then the risk of not being able to come back to Denver would be high. So, um, you know, I've just been hanging out in New Jersey and, um, you know, sitting tight and working out. Can't be fun to have, you know, you talked about all the great friends you've got on that DU team and, you know, how the season you're having and, and no conclusion that must feel weird to know that you're not going back and you didn't really get a chance to finish this second year with uh, your teammates and your friends. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously devastating and um, you know, like uh, it makes it even more better now that I'm signing and I won't probably see them for a bit, but hopefully, hopefully in the summer, but um, yeah, I mean, we were all sitting in a locker room just right after a practice and it just, we got the, we were all on Twitter on our phones and, all of a sudden we see that our season's canceled. So it's not definitely not an easy thing having guys that like Ian Mitchell and uh, people are in our seniors that weren't coming back, you know, that's the last thing they would do as a pioneer that practice. And it was a fun one too. So no, but we, uh, we were a close knit group and it definitely um, stung a bit when we heard the news. Emilio Peterson uh, with us on Pinder and Steinberg here, newly signed out of DU by the Calgary flames. Emilio, you were talking to Ryan there about the decision to come over to North America when you were 14 years old, but I, I'm just curious. Like, t Tell us about that experience. Tell us about uh, coming to North America, not only a brand-new country, but a brand-new continent. You're thousands of miles yeah. away from home. What's what's that experience like for a 14-year-old? Tell us, uh, t Take us back to that time. Put us in your shoes then. Yeah, I mean uh... – 
it was a unique experience. I'm, you know, I'm still going through it. I'm by my, I'm basically by myself. I, I don't really see my, see my parents that often, uh, really only in the summer. And, you know, like making that leap when I was that young, it was just, you know, definitely went through a lot of ups and downs and learned a lot of things about myself and, and others. And it was just, you know, you, you get to experience it by yourself and you're just like kind of soaking everything you're seeing. And I, in my opinion, I, I gained a lot of, um, you know, um, self experience and just, you know, getting to know myself a little better. And, and, um, that's like, obviously, uh, have a lot of great friends through those years. And, uh, yeah, when I honestly wouldn't take anything back, I, I'm so happy I did what I did and led me to what I am today. And yeah, it's been a great ride. How, how much of, an adjustment was there like how different was north american culture to what you were used to back in norway oh uh, it's very different you know uh, coming over it's not um not an easy thing to just adjust to a a different language uh different culture different classrooms and just you know like different classes in general like you you're you're not really being taught the same stuff either in school so it's more more just getting adjusted for me i mean after after just getting adjusted for a year or two um you know you you really just you're fine after that it's not it's not much different but um you know friends and everything is the same and um yeah not much different but it's uh, definitely an adjustment i gotta i gotta be honest with you like if somebody were to just have tuned in now and didn't know you were from norway it sounds like you're from Denver or Calgary. Like you're, you, you speak perfect English with uh, next to no accent. How, how long did it take you to get as, as perfect command over the language as, it, as it's gotten right now? Well, I always, uh, thanks, by the way. Uh, I always thought that um, my English was pretty good before I, before I got to the States. But um, it's definitely... I've definitely gotten a lot more confidence in speaking since my first year. And, um, uh, you know, it's, I want to, I want to tell my teachers, my English teachers from the first three, four, four years, I mean, it was, it wasn't easy and I definitely wasn't, wasn't getting the best grades ever, but, um, it was just, you know, it's a process like everything else. And, um, you know, it's a, again, a little bit of a crazy ride in the language part. How uh, so? How strong was your English before? How much did you know over in Norway? How often were you taught? What's that situation like? Um, I knew, I knew a bit from just you know like having we we obviously had English in school, uh, from like fifth through seventh grade, and so I knew a bit. But most of it honestly came from just like watching NHL highlights, uh, TV shows, and everything else. You kind of get the gist of the accents and uh, and all that stuff so I would say a lot of it just comes off of just watching stuff and just you know trying to be a part of the American community I guess it's funny because I've been doing some research in the last in the last number of months and apparently for an English speaker it is Norwegian is one of the easiest languages for an English speaker to learn because there's a lot of similarities in terms of you know sentence structure and, and how you speak. Right. Uh, obviously, the words are different. Did you did you find it an easy transition the other way? Um. Yeah. Like I, you know, not a lot. Of, like everything's kind of a blur in the first like few years about the language part. But 
like my my parents will make fun of me for for texting them like not like I'm not like messing up words but I'm um I'm structuring the sentence just a little bit different that just throws them off a bit um so it's more just like that translation of just you know um like obviously you said that the structure is kind of similar but uh with with different words it's a little different so <laughs> It's interesting. I just, I'm, I'm fascinated by it. I do, one more for me uh, before we wrap up. Just you, you talk, you talked a lot about adding some power to your stride and areas that you've really worked on. So tell us about how you have evolved, improved as a player since your first year at Denver, even your first year in the USHL. Like, tell us about the big jumps that you've made as a player. Yeah, I think, uh, I think the first thing I would probably say just playing more sound defensively and uh, realizing that part of the game. Um, you know, like, yeah, then honestly play much defense until I came to the, to the USHL and realized that, you know, like that's a huge part of the game. And, you know, I, I could only thank the coaches that I had there. And, uh, you know, they put me in tough positions where I had to adjust. And, and um, you know, you just got to learn, right? And, um, and after that, I kind of just started taking – bigger strides defensively and uh, uh, and then started focusing more on my stride where, you know, you're always looking to improve areas where you where you feel you're the weakest. And uh, my skating, I felt needed some work, and I really put a lot of time and effort into it, and it's helped my game a lot. It's day 47 here of what we're calling the sports apocalypse here on a sports talk station. We're getting a little thin on the actual, you know, athletes and athletics and leagues and games that matter. But we have been diving into what everyone's been doing to keep busy. Do you have a favorite movie, TV series, documentary that you got into that helped pass the time lately? Uh, yeah, I've been, I've been watching All-American for a bit, uh, which is that new Netflix show. Uh, pretty good. Uh, just, you know, kind of a cheesy, cheesy new uh, show that I'm watching and uh, kind of inspiring too. So you just try to, try to get, get something going that you like to watch. But that and uh, the stranger is pretty good um okay. yeah i mean i haven't watched a lot just been watching a ton of reruns of hockey and uh, other sports <laughs> well let's hope you can get back on the ice soon and have a great off season we look forward to seeing you in uh, potentially development camp if there is one training camp uh, all those things down the line we appreciate your time today Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Emilio. Emilio Peterson is a 2018 sixth-round pick of the Calgary Flames, signs his entry-level deal with the team today. There was some question about whether or not he was going to head back and go for uh, go back for a junior year at Denver. Uh, in fact, uh, Brad Living, not this past week but the week before, was asked about that on his weekly conference call with Calgary Media and kind of said that, you know, the, the plan – initially was that he was going to go back to college but they'd been discussing it and hey you take a look at the year that he had last year at uh, denver 35 points in 36 games he's 20 he just turned 20 in april uh, earlier this month so he'll be a 20 year old in the american league next year you would assume that's that's probably where he's going to spend most of the year uh for a sixth round pick he's turned into a guy that that i think flames fans are pretty excited about right he's a guy that all of a sudden has, has jumped up the list of prospects on this team well, what was it? Friday we talked with Connie, uh, Craig Conroy, and and at the end we I had said I really believe that this team is doing as well or better in the draft than any other regime stretching maybe back all time or at least into the 80s. 
But you start looking at some of the guys they've picked late, like Dmitry Zavgorodny, seventh rounder. He's already been signed. Same draft class as Emilio Peterson, who's now been signed. That's two, a sixth rounder, a seventh rounder. Last summer, they get Dustin Wolf in the seventh round, who is the WHL net miner of the year and probably the, you know, the top one in the CHL. They're, they've continued to hit in later rounds. Like I've just been really impressed. And it's not been you know chasing a shape or a size or a weight. Like These are very high-skill guys. They're betting on late. Manjapani is sixth-rounder. I've uh, I've been really impressed with the work they've been able to do late. And in some of those draft classes, they haven't had a lot of early picks, so it was crucial that they yeah. got picks late, especially that 2018 class with Zav Garodny and uh, Peterson, who we just spoke to. They didn't have picked to the fourth round that year. And they've already signed two guys out of that and possibly still playing three. Like that's, that's incredible. Quick break. When we come back, the latest on a potential NHL restart and what that might look like. Elliot Friedman is around the corner. We're underway on Pinder and Steinberg, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Two guys in different spots staying at home, but still talking on the radio. It's a miracle. Pinder and Steinberg is only on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. All right, here we are at uh, 2.34, another Monday, day 47 of the sports apocalypse. Uh, have not yet connected with Elliot Friedman, hoping to this segment, but Pat wanted to get back to the uh, Emilio Peterson conversation for a moment this is a guy that uh, has very quickly become one of the top prospects in the organization. And uh, I, I think a fascinating story when you talk about uh, a human that at the age of 14 makes the decision to move to another continent to pursue a dream. That's, that's someone that's probably got a little more drive and maturity than most. Think about it. Like 14 years old, what were you doing at 14? Would I have been able to uh, handle moving to Europe by myself with no or very uh, let's let's say that I had say, say that I was moving to Norway uh, to mm. go further my career and I had you know somewhat working knowledge basic working knowledge of the Norwegian language um, I don't know how comfortable I would be at the age of 14. In fact, I do know how comfortable I would be. I would have zero comfort. I would be terrified. Um, I, uh, I I would be um, I would not be able to do it. So the the fact that he was able to do it, I don't know how. Uh, just uh, sorry, we're doing this live on the air. Just got a text from Elliot Logo. He says he's waiting. Uh, there he's on the line now. So uh, we now right. have Elliot Friedman. Okay. Um, Okay, so it's uh, let's do this. Uh, we have connected with Elliot Friedman, our NHL insider. Let's hook up with him right now. Elliot Friedman, brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. While your business is empty, Calgary Lock and Safe can update any trouble doors and do a site audit for security. Get it done now. Visit calgarylockandsafe.com. Hello, Mr. Friedman. Uh, please, no Homeland spoilers. Uh, I've got uh, I've got the finale to watch. I'm doing that tonight. So, uh, oh, no you spoilers, know what? It's please. good. I, I will say I'm not going to spoil it for you. I'm not that big a dick. Like I'm not going to do that. <laughs> um, oh, sorry about that. It's only five. It's only three o'clock your time. I apologize. It's <laughs> uh, all good. Uh, not that much, I, better, I, Richard. <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to do that. Um, I will say this, like. Uh, you know, that show has had a lot of twists and turns. First couple of years, really good. Then I thought it dropped. Then I thought it picked up. Again, the last couple of years, excellent. And, uh, you know, there was, there was a point in last night's show I really thought I was going to be disappointed with the way it ended. But at the end, I thought the final twist, Pat, was worth it. 
Okay. I, I loved it, and I think you're – you could tell me if you agree or disagree, but uh, at the end of the show, I was like, you know what, that's a, that's a good little twist to end it. I like it. Okay. This. I, I've I've loved this season. I love the fact they've got back to the roots of the the dynamic between Carrie and Saul, and I, I think it's been an outstanding final season uh, through the first eleven eleven episodes. So I'm I'm really excited to see what uh, this finale is going to look like. I'll let you know as soon as I I'll, maybe I'll wait till tomorrow because it'll be late when I watch it. But I'll let you know what I uh, what what my take was on this final twist. What. Uh, What's the latest on the NHL restarting? What are you hearing about plans and uh, different buzz around the league right now? Well, I think there's just there's a lot of talk and sketching going on. You know, you'll notice that uh, on the weekend, Adrian Wojnarowski, who's a great NBA reporter for ESPN, said that, you know, facilities open May 1st, and already now that's been pushed back to May 8th. So I think it just shows you that for all these leagues, it's it's a puzzle, right? And you're constantly getting new pieces. Um, you know, I, I do think the NHL would like, if they could, to open up their facilities sometime in the middle of May for small workouts and small skates. And, you know, and for example, like let's just say for argument's sake, if the Flames were to open up their facility for that, if you're an NHL player who doesn't play for the Flames but is in the Calgary area, if you want to go there and skate and work out, you'd be allowed to. I think that is kind of the next thing the NHL was looking at, and there's a hope they could do it sometime in the middle of May, late May, but there's no guarantees, Pat, and that's kind of where we are now in terms of hoping for the next phase. We, we've seen some different reports. I, I see that uh, former NHL or former All-Star John Scott tweeted about it today, and uh, there were a couple of reports over the weekend as well about uh, calls to players to come back some point in mid-May and uh, be back in their respective cities so they can get a potential training camp underway in June. Is, is that kind of the same as what you've been hearing? Well, there is, like, I think... Yes and no. Um, the, the, the thing that John Scott tweeted about, which got a lot of attention, there is like a, I don't know if schedule is the right word, but an outline that's floating around there. It's floating around the NHL among uh, maybe teams and players. I've, you know, it was sent to me that kind of has that timeline on it. But I don't know if that's, Actually, I shouldn't say that. It's not official. Okay. Like, it's not official. But what I do think it is, is I think some teams and players have thrown that around like this maybe could happen. But, again, like we just, shot, like we just showed with the NBA, just because someone says this is what we'd like to do doesn't mean it's going to be possible. So when John Scott tweets out that we're going to have camps on, on June 1st, I do believe that there are some people throwing around ideas at, like, could if we open up for informal and small workouts in the middle of May, could we have camps on June 1st? And I think that's a hope. But there's a big difference between a hope and some teams throwing that around and some players throwing that around as opposed to saying this this is the league or the players association saying yes mm-hmm. this is what we're going to do so i think the fairest thing to call that 
is kind of a rough outline that's being thrown around there, but there's no guarantee. What um, what has to happen for the NHL to actually be able to resume the season? Like, what are some of the the main areas that they need to have uh, check marks beside the bullet points? Well, you, you need to have medical professionals say you can do it. You need to have uh, local governments willing to say that you know we'll let you do it. Those are probably one and one A, uh, and then one B is probably you know. You have to be able to be able to test people. You know, as we know, one of the big issues has been testing. And I know that, you know, a lot of people in Alberta are think that you guys have done a really good job of testing compared to other people. But, you know, one I've had a couple of players say to me they're not convinced it's a good idea for them to be getting a whole bunch of tests when, you know, other people can't get them. So I, mm-hmm. I think that is a big issue, too. So I would say those are the three things right at the top of the list. Will the medical professionals let you do it? Will the governments let you do it? Is there enough testing going around that you can test everybody every day? Because you're going to have to do that. Yeah. When uh, and and you know we keep hearing different cities. This this could be a host city. That could be a host city. What? Mm-hmm. Here we are in late April. How much runway does the league have to finalize all these things? And if all the things go according to plan, and that's a big if, but what, like, how much runway do they have to say, okay, we've got it figured out, we can do this starting here? Well, I think that in a perfect world, I think they'd like to start in July in terms of playing games. I think they would like to have a training camp before July. But again, this is all wish as opposed to we know for sure. Um, I think they have a decent idea of where they could potentially play. Um, I know there was some dispute uh, at the end of last weekend about whether or not Edmonton could, would still be on the list uh, or still as a possibility. I still think they're at least looking at it. There's Vegas, there's Dallas, there's Minnesota, there's Columbus, there's Toronto. I think that those are kinds of the places they're looking at. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think, Pat, would they, I think they'd love to be able to say we can have a camp in June and we can play either start playing either Canada Day or Independence Day. Uh, but, again, we don't know at this point in time. I mean, look, we're starting to see places gently reopen. Your neighbor to the east is, you know, probably the Canadian leader in trying this. Um, you know, uh, I, I think it's all going to depend on, on how this goes. Yeah. Elliot Friedman is with us. Our NHL insider from Hockey Night in Canada joins us Mondays on Pinder and Steinberg. Elliot, just a quick reaction to uh, what I guess. How are you? What's going on? I thought you were mad at me. You didn't text text me back today. When you text me and say 4.30 today, like I'm not a 12-year-old. If you, like... (laughs) If if I don't get back to you, it's fine. Like if it, if I if I do get back to you, there's a problem. Yeah. What usually happens like is rather than we. How old are we? Well, I just. I I deal with four and a half year olds like more than I deal with adults these days. This is <laughs> this is the pandemic, okay? Like I'm I'm doing bike rides. There's lots of poo poo bum bum jokes, toilet humor. Mm-hmm. I wiped poo off the floor today, so I don't know. How old are we? How old are you? Uh, 49. (laughs) Okay. So uh, (laughs) next time I'll put a question mark at the end. It might be less demanding, and then you'll respond as promptly as you always do. Uh, We've heard the three-week time table. always with the same answer, by the way. 
It's yes. always it's always the same answer. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. You're Three week simple. training camp has taken like a bit of uh, pushback. I know uh, our good friend Justin Bourne, who has uh, come on to Sportsnet in the last season here was saying why three weeks what could you accomplish in three that you can't in two is that is that buying some wiggle room for the league is that what they literally believe is to work best why is three weeks been settled on when former players players who've come up and said three weeks right is it so like like yeah i i believe that came from the players the three weeks okay um i i don't know like you know i i'm not i'm not a player i I uh, I can't, you know, the one I, I can't argue with what they say. I mean, I assume everything's negotiable, but um, I, I think the the one I think the league really agrees with the players in one particular thing: if you can, you can't go right into playoff games if you can avoid mm-hmm. it. And the players feel very strongly about that. And from what I understand, the league listened to that. I mean, three three weeks. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I think that everything could be discussed. Um, it's going to be tough to ramp guys up. I would guess the more regular season games you could get. And I, the other thing, too, is I heard that there was maybe talk about a couple of exhibition games, too. If you can, maybe that decreases the amount of time you need to. Um, you know, I... The players have said that. I mean, we'll see if that's hard and fast or not. Um, you know, I, I can't answer that for you at this time. Yeah, okay. The other one I've thought about is, you know, even if you do, let's say, complete the regular season, the schedules are going to be entirely different if we're based out of these divisional homes. Uh, yeah. How contentious could a theoretical schedule be? And are you already starting to see, you know, GM types start to, uh, you know, I guess – put their spin on how things should be while well, we already played this team a bunch and we had this one left on the calendar. I mean, that that's going to be something that's going to be very contentious. I do. I do understand that. Like you guys had, didn't you guys have an Eastern swing too? They were going to yes, New York. They were going to go three. to all three, yeah. all yeah, three New York teams. That, that's, that's not happening. Right. Um, yeah. So I think that that's not going to happen. I think you can expect, um, you're, I mean, I don't know what the answer to that question is. I just know they're all going to be divisional games or teams in your hub. Um, hmm. That's one of the things that's, I mean, you know, who, wherever you are and whoever's with you, that's, that's who you're going to play. And um, I think the other thing right now, and I don't know if anybody has a clear answer to this as we talk about this today is, is, the, is it, this probably means that there's going to be no crossover, right? What do you right. mean by crossover? Like uh, if, wild like, card crossover? Play a, yeah. I mean, some teams are telling me that they think that it's if we play, it's going to be the. I mean, it's going to be the teams in the hub. So if those hub teams in the hub weren't divisional ones, you could theoretically be a Pacific team playing in the central hub or vice versa. I mean, that's, I I don't think they really want that. Um, I think they want the Pacific teams all going to the Pacific hub. Um, Hmm. But yeah, I, I, that's one of the questions the teams have, like, are you going to let teams travel outside of the hub for the playoffs? Yeah. I would, I had one with that's unlikely. 
so what here's one that i i think is is the most uh i would think this is keeping gary bettman up at night what happens if you have an outbreak on one team that's played a bunch of teams and we know how this thing travels without symptoms i mean do you get a clear sense that that's something that will have to be in place here is the protocol if this happens then this or is it something well they'll just have to adjust on the fly absolutely i think so absolutely i think all those questions are going to be discussed for sure absolutely i mean basically that's what we're facing that's not just an nhl question that's that's a societal question as we start to reopen here yeah you know like if you take a look at where a lot of these uh, outbreaks are happening um Nursing homes, unfortunately, factories, unfortunately, uh, hospitals, unfortunately. But we know of situations where, for example, in soccer matches, um, they were they caused a lot of cases, right? Yeah. So you know what, you know what's going to happen if something like that happens here? Absolutely. Like you know, I think one of the biggest questions leading into it is, um, you know, Ryan honestly is going to be, what about players who have underlying conditions? What about players who are diabetic? You know, sure. there's at least two players in the league, Brian Boyle and Phil Kessel. Um, you know, they've battled cancer before. There's players in the league who are asthmatic. You know, how are they going to feel about all of this? I think those are very are- fair questions, and um, I don't know if we know the answers at this time. Would the league require a waiver, or would a PA league agreement be enough to get over that hurdle? legally well i i think to me it's almost the other way around like would you want to play yeah right so how much salary are you willing to forego for your health or the, the, well, the threat the thing of is, like health. i mean should you be i mean now i haven't discussed this anyway i'm just talking about this with you right now ryan but like if you're a diabetic should you be forced to give up your salary because you can't play i don't think so Ooh, to me that's, that's complicated if you're on long-term ltir yeah. Huh. Like seriously, like are you telling me that a, someone who has that issue is going to have to give up their salary because they can't play? I mean, that hardly seems right. I have no idea. Yeah, I, I, I honestly, this is why we ask you the questions because my, <laughs> I, I, we don't have the bloody clue at all. I, I do think that's one of the big issues. I, 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 I do. Um, you know, I think you know if you, there are certain like we don't know a lot about this disease. We're still really learning about it. Um, and, but we do know it seems to attack, uh, certain kinds of people, um, much more significantly. And, you know, high blood pressure is clearly one of those. And, you know, the other thing somebody was saying to me is that what's the, I have to figure this out. What's the average age of coaches? Jeez. It's gotta be what? North of 50. You gotta think so. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, all I'll of get, these are very fair questions. I'll get Friedman with us. Monday's here on Pinder and Steinberg. Uh, Mr. Friedman, what's what's the latest on the NHL draft? Is it sounding more and more like June is when this thing's going to happen? You know, that is a great question, Pat. Um, so last week when this got out, um, there were several GMs who had resigned themselves to the fact this was going to happen probably June 5th. And then there was pushback. And there was significant pushback. Okay. Like a couple of guys told me it got really nasty uh, to the point where 
uh, one guy told me that, you know, guys who weren't fighting back enough got in trouble. And um, I got the sense that the league was going to decide this week, but the league to this point has not given any clearance on that. Okay. Like, I, I do think that after, you know, they saw the success of the NFL draft, the way it looked, um, the TV ratings it got, I think there are some people who feel very strongly that it should happen in early June. I think the GMs hate the idea. I, I know there's a couple who told their staff, we're going to have to deal with this because if the commissioner decides he wants something, he'll do it. But I do know the pushback has been pretty fierce. What did you take from the NFL draft over the weekend? Anything that jumped out at you in terms of you know, how things might go if the NHL were to do their draft in a very similar format? I would assume it's going to look very similar to that. Um, I want to know which NHL players, NHL draft picks, going to show up in a robe. Uh, I love that. I saw, I saw that guy from Alabama in the robe. I laughed my head yeah. off. Um, I mean, there was some hilarious stuff. Like, it was uh, Mike Vrabel's house. Like, you know, you could really have <laughs> some interesting – you could really have some interesting stuff with that. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, I think there are people in the league who are like, this would be a great opportunity for us. And uh, I think the hockey people really fight it. And I understand why the hockey people really fight it. Um, but, you know, I mean, we'll see. I – it's an interesting one because if the commissioner throws his support behind an idea, he generally wins. Right. And But there's some there's some real pushback on this one. What can you tell us about uh, Swedish player Johannes Kinval and his connection to the Calgary Flames? Well, I think he's going to be a Flame or at least a member of the Flames organization. Um, you know, I heard, you know, uh, Brad Tree Living, the GM out there, uh, he had a conference call last week where he told you about a player from Sweden who is likely going to sign after the transfer agreement is done. I am under the impression that the current IIHF agreement and the current CHL agreement are going to extend for one more year. Like the NHL was very close to a new transfer agreement with these leagues and I heard that's not going to happen. Um, they're going to extend the current one for a year and they're going to extend the CHL one for a year. That's not official yet. But from what I understand, uh, that thought has been communicated. So once that's done, um, you guys will sign Kinval. And, uh, I, you know, I, I, I had forgotten uh, someone sent me a note that I guess he was at your, your development camp last year. Yep, that's right. Uh, I, I had forgotten about that. But he had a pretty good year. And uh, you know what? Um, I There's nothing wrong with giving a guy a shot. But... He's going to be coming out your way. The transfer agreements and and extending those for a year, as as you're under the understanding, it's going to happen. That is that is that directly in response to the pandemic and saying, hey, there's no point. I think so. I think now? it's I think it's like you know what, let's not do anything crazy. Let's just extend this and we'll we'll punt this down the road. What what were some of the things when talking about a new agreement? What were some of the the different things that were being discussed? Were you aware of what were some of the big sticking points? Well, one thing I had heard was that um, I, I like one thing I had heard was that some of the the money going to some of these teams 
the league was the NHL was apparently willing to op it. Um, now I don't know that for sure. Um, I heard that, um, but until I get full details, I don't, I can't say a hundred percent. Okay. Elliot, we're going to uh, chat with Robin Regeer in about four minutes' time. I wonder if uh, you've got an anecdote or anything you'd like to pass along to us because you're a better interviewer than we are. No, that's not true. <laughs> Very much that is, is true. That, that is definitely not the case. I would completely disagree with that. Um, <laughs> you know what? Like, uh, did you see the Overheart, the Kurt Overheart thing today? I did. I did, yeah. Like, I, I would love to know, like, Regeer was always a guy who was kind of interested in the Players Association. Um, I saw him at several meetings. He always seemed to have an opinion. He generally seemed to be interested in it. Um, I would love to know what he thinks about something like that or where, you know, they're, they're talking now about an expansion. I, I would love to know what he thinks about what they should do. Hmm. What are your thoughts on that Overheart news? Is that something that Gary Bettman would immediately stonewall or no? He probably would just punt it into the ocean. Um, but I, you know, like the thing is like, from what I hear, I don't know about compliance buyouts guys. Like, yeah. uh, like I think like, yes, the players are getting hammered on the escrow, but the owners in a lot of their areas of business are getting hammered too. And I'm not convinced they're going to want money outside the system. Like I, yeah. I've had guys tell me, huh. don't be so sure there's going to be compliance buyouts. And if that's the case, and the cap's not going anywhere for a few years, some of these teams are going to be squeezed. Last one for you. Need a puzzle update. Thirty thousand pieces, and you know what? Uh, we, we, uh, not we, we, call, we called a timeout because I can't uh, give enough time since I'm because uh, of work. I, I can't give enough time to it. So my wife's got a couple of two thousand she's working on right now, and this might end <laughs> up being like. Uh, I don't know, a down-the-road project. I'll tell you this. It's massive. It is, like, we opened that thing up, and we opened up the first 4,000-piece bag, and there were seven 4,000-piece bags still left, and we were sorting them, and we were trying to find the edges. You do not realize what a big job this thing is. It's not canceled. It's just paused. I don't like the NHL season. That's right. We'll chat next week, and uh, yeah, we'll ask you about your 2,000-piece puzzles. By the way, <laughs> I got to tell you, um, I heard great things about this uh, Pedersen kid. Yeah. Oh, good, yeah. Yeah. I heard... You uh, just had him on. Oh, he was just on? Okay. Yeah, yeah good um, for you. You know, it's good to see that, uh, you know, I'll tell you this. I, got, I saw his name today, and I sent somebody uh, a text who covers uh, who, who's around Denver. And they told me like, that guy's a player. He said, Calgary got a real steal there. And he said, it pains him to admit it because he hates Calgary. But he said, Calgary's got a player. there. <laughs> See, this is like, we've, we don't even ask you the questions and you give us the end. This is beautiful. The overheart. No, I, 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 I put it down as a note that uh, that I meant to tell you guys today that this guy called me today. I says I sent him a note. I said, I don't know anything about this Pedersen. I'm not familiar with too many six-round draft picks. 
And he said, this guy's a player. He says, I hate the Flames, but I like the kid. <laughs> Thanks for your time. We'll let you uh, interview yourself next week again. <laughs> All right, guys. Take care. See you, Elliot. Elliot Friedman, brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. While your business is empty, Calgary Lock and Safe can update any trouble doors and do a site audit for security. Get it done now. Visit calgarylockandsafe.com. That was a good one for some of us more than others. (laughs) All right. Robin Regeer, right around the corner. Uh, One of the stalwart Flames defensemen. And, of course, a member of that magical 4 team. He did move on to L.A. and win a cup later in his life. We'll check in with the former Flame when we come back. It's Pinder and Steinberg on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Back to Pinder and Steinberg, Calgary Sports Talk in the afternoon. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. All right, it's uh, six minutes after 3 o'clock. Welcome back to Pinder and Steinberg. Time to catch up with an old Calgary Flame and a Stanley Cup winner from uh, 2014. Well, you're not that old. Uh, Robin Regeer's with us. <laughs> Reggie, how are you? What's going on? I, I am old. I just had a big birthday. Well, what was the number? That's uh, that... Big 4-0. Wow. Holy. Yeah. What, yeah. What's a pandemic had, birthday uh, like? We had huge plans and uh, just like really fun plans and then ended up uh doing a wiener roast up at the lake all that all that had to be put on hold for who knows how long so uh how have you been hanging out the last month and a half what's going on but you know what the good news is though there was no hangover so that was good usually people (laughs) kind of complain when uh when they turn 40 (laughs) the hangovers but um no it's been uh actually all things considering it's been pretty good we uh we got out of town early uh, my wife had the foresight to kind of see that uh where things were going to be going so before school even got canceled and stuff we we took off and uh went up to our cabin in uh, northern saskatchewan and we we had probably a good month of winter up here so we were outside oh. every day I, I shoveled off the the lake and the kids were out there skating and tobogganing and snowmobiling and cross-country skiing and then uh and then school started back up and now we've uh we've had to keep them on a little bit of a schedule what's the uh the, the latest weather update we've gone from winter to early mosquito what's the what, what's the season <laughs> like? well finally i can get uh get doing some yard work so you guys thank you for saving me i've been raking for about three days straight here uh but uh <laughs> yeah the last couple of weeks have warmed up and the ice is starting to slowly uh, melt on the lake and the snow is all melting and yeah things are things are i don't know 10 12 degrees normally and no bugs yet thank goodness but uh i'm sure they'll be quickly around the corner here now for people that uh, haven't been keeping tabs you do live in calgary but as you alluded to you spent a bunch of time in northern saskatchewan over the summer what does uh life uh the work life look like these days we know you were Rhett would always make fun of you for retiring, but you'd, he'd call you up and you'd be in a bobcat or something. Like, you just couldn't turn it off. <laughs> What's going on in, uh, yeah, in your career? Well, I, unfortunately, uh, work pretty much came to a screeching halt uh, at the uh, beginning of March with uh, the market meltdown and then uh, with the full uh, lockdown with the uh, pandemic and stuff like that, everything got sent uh, sent back. So um, we had a little bit of work uh uh, recently up in uh, up in Horizon, just uh, about 10 or 12 days, I believe. And those guys are wrapping up today. But uh, 
uh, it's been very slow uh, work-wise and, uh, you know, for for a variety of different reasons. But it's uh, it's quite sad, actually, uh, really taking, uh, taking a very hard and it's just terrible news. Yeah, been tough times in the patch for sure. Um, Robin Rear joining us, a member of the Flames for numerous seasons. Stanley Cup winner in 2014. He's joining us on Pinder and Steinberg here on this Monday afternoon. Patty. Robin, uh, we've been uh, we've been talking a lot about the 04 Stanley Cup run during this uh, whole stretch. Is there's no sports going on, so we've been telling a lot of stories, and and here we are. It'd be the uh, I guess the 16 year anniversary right now of that magical run to Game Seven of the Stanley Cup Finals. Is it, uh, is it in a lot of ways still feel like yesterday, or does it feel like it was a decade and a half ago? You know, it, it does feel like it. It's been uh, been a while, and uh, you know, I, I guess for me, I was I was very fortunate. One of the the few guys who could continue to to play after after that. You know, we lost the uh, the whole season to a lockout right after that run. So you know, I was a young young guy, and for me personally, I thought, oh, okay, you know, we put a lot of work in, and and it it, it was a terrible feeling to get that close and and taste it and you know see it and and just right there one goal away and then with the whole game six debacle with the no goal call and uh losing by one goal in game seven it was it was very very tough to take but i was a young you know 24 years old at that time and i thought oh we have a good team we'll we'll get right back there and and give it a, a good run and and for me it it took 10 years after that and uh, a couple different teams before uh, I even got got close again. So um, it, it does seem like it's been a long time f- for me, but uh, maybe for other guys, not not so much. But I was, like I said, I was fortunate. Andrew Ferentz, uh, Mike Commodore, some of those guys ended up going to different teams and and winning. So we were very fortunate. We uh, last week we caught up with your old D partner Jordan Leopold, and we're talking to him about about that run and and talking about how instrumental you guys were as a pairing and and how important that was uh, through that run. Tell us tell us a little bit about playing with with Jordan and um, how how big a part of that run he was. Yeah, I, I really like playing with uh, with Jordan and. Uh, you know, I was uh, fortunate to to play for quite a long time, fifteen fifteen years or so, and and played with uh, lots of uh, very good defensemen, and and he was right up there with uh, one of the favorites because um, you know I, I found he was consistent in in what he did, and that way I didn't have to guess what uh, the way he was going to react or where he was going to be or what he was going to do. So that really helped uh, helped me, and and you know for me personally. Um, I always found that I, I I just played better and reacted better to someone with consistency in their game. And his strengths were his skating and his uh, his puck uh, puck moving ability. And uh, he was just uh, he was a guy that unfortunately uh, a little bit later on in his career he had some some injuries with uh, his groins and and things like that that were were giving him a hard time. But he was a very good, very dependable defenseman for for us in, in Calgary when, when he was there. So I, I really enjoyed playing with Leo. He, uh, he detailed 
all of the different injuries that he had coming out of that cup run and, and basically said like he needed that season to be canceled the next year so he could recover and was still getting past them years later. Were you aware at the time that he was like a walking infirmary during that run? I, I didn't know how bad uh, it was for, for Jordan, but you know, if I if I look back on uh, on one thing with with injuries and our team, I think that was the ultimate uh, downfall for for us. You know, we lost uh, Matthew Lombardi in in uh, in the second round, I believe, in in uh, Detroit to an elbow, and uh, we lost some D men early, um, and uh, losing guys in the finals. Uh, Donovan, I believe, had a knee injury and. Uh, I ended up uh, having a high ankle sprain and just you name it. Like we, we, we got pretty beat up and uh, it just kind of that, that I, I believe was ultimately what, uh, what hurt us in the, in the, in the end and, and why we, uh, we couldn't uh, win it all. I take a look at, you know, the way you played throughout your career and, and you took pride in being that hard-nosed, shut-down defenseman and were one of the, the best of your generation at being that guy and, and going up against the top players and playing them tough. But was there was there ever a stretch of hockey that better suited your strengths than those four rounds in 2004? Because it was before the game made their big changes and some of the crackdowns. It was uh, it was maybe a little bit of a um, it was more obstruction. It was it was more difficult to move mm-hmm. around at that time and and was maybe a little easier to really bear down on someone physically. Was was that did, did that suit you maybe the best that uh, any point of hockey did in your career? Yeah, I think so because I also had had a chance to watch the the game and you know being uh, a young young player and junior and before that, so you kind of have an idea of of the way that the the NHL game uh, was being played, and I enjoyed that. Uh, I, I really did, and uh, so I came in the league at a at a really good time um, for for me personally, and and because of, you know it was a, a big size, strength, and uh, lots of kind of power game to it a lot. You said clutching and grabbing, hooking, holding. But the, really what it came down to was the game had uh, the, um, I guess the, the the favor was, was on the defending player and that, uh, you know, if a guy got a bit of a step on you, you could you could get away with a little tug and, and get back to it, where uh, they came out of uh, the lockout and uh, then the uh, the the opportunity was uh, with the uh, with the offensive player, and if uh, that offensive player got a got a step on a defending player, you couldn't you couldn't put your stick out, you couldn't tap him, you couldn't hook him, hold him, or anything like that. So the game evolved and and will continue to evolve. Uh, but uh, I agree with with you in that you know that uh, kind of ninety nine to two thousand four was uh, the hockey that that I like to play the best. And then, you know, I had to learn to try to adapt to a new game as, as everyone else did that uh, was in the league. But uh, it was a, it was a huge change. Well, it's not, at least from, from the outside, it didn't look like you had a ton of trouble making that adjustment. Like you were still out there every shift against the, the best offensive players on the other side. And even the game, even though the game was, was faster. And as you said, the advantage was given more to the offensive player as opposed to the past. It still looked like you were getting the job done at the same level. How, how much of an adjustment though, was it for you? Was it a difficult adjustment to, to go through that? 
Well, you know what? You're always making adjustments, though. In as a player, like you're you're looking at your your game, uh, whether it's uh, personally as an individual or as a team, or or maybe uh, some of the special teams that you're part of, or whatever it is. You're you're always making adjustments. So I think that uh, you know that's just a, a given. But it was uh, how drastic uh, the game was called, and also just the. Um, the advantage now with the uh, the really the offensive players, it, it, a lot of it came down to their stick and your feet, and also um, how you used your your stick. You didn't want to as soon as your stick left the ice and and kind of got up, the refs were looking to make a call, and uh, so you had to really be careful about your stick and and where you put it, and then your feet were very important because uh, you just never wanted to to give that step to the offensive player they advantaged the offensive player so the um the, the feet you know put you in the right position and kept you in the right position so you could check or defend or you know take advantage of a certain situation so those were the two big things that uh, that i i kind of looked to improve in uh coming out of that that full year lockout and then the other thing was is if they were still hitting in, in the game and it was still encouraged. So I, I like that part of it. So you still wanted to finish all the checks and, you know, for us in Calgary and having Daryl around, you know, he told us, you know, play to our identity. We want to be a hardworking, good defensive, physical team. You want to be hard to play against. Like that was our identity. So we, we tried to play toward, toward it. Did you, uh, can, can you retell the story on, on you and Alice Hemsky in Edmonton and how that, <laughs> that came to be because it's one of my it's one of my favorite stories yeah so we we were playing a game in calgary and uh and we were going at each other pretty good as as you know for me i loved it when a coach came to me and 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 my partner and said you know it's your it's you know you're looking at whatever line the hemsky line uh speed line or whatever line it was uh, that was coming in, and you guys are have them all night. Like shut them down, make it hard on them, and shut them down. So, you know, it was a personal challenge to myself and and uh, my partner, and I and I love that. So, you know, Daryl was uh, was very good at uh, pressing people's buttons, and and uh, he would uh, come come to me and say, you know, this is their best player at the time, or one of their best players. You gotta you gotta make it hard on them, and so that was how it, you know. The, the real kind of mentality of it at the start, but that it took a personal twist when um, we were in Calgary and I'd, I'd hit him a few times cleanly and uh, during the game and I was going to finish check on him in the corner. And just as I got to him, he actually uh, brought his stick up really quickly uh, in front of him and he uh, cross checked me in the throat. Uh, it's so hard that I had a hard time um, breathing for a little while. And, you know, it was, it was quite uncomfortable and, uh, for me, I got uh, pretty mad about it. There was no call on it or anything like that. So, you know, I just, I remember that. And I have a tendency to remember those things for an extremely long time. And he was <laughs> one of their best players. So what do you do? Anytime you, he came around, you, you try to give him a little bit of daylight. To, to when Once he goes outside, you want to you wanna make that player think that they can get around you and cut to the net so they commit. And then once that happens... Um, really, you just got to get the angle and run them right into the end boards. And uh, I loved it. Every second of it. <laughs> yep, Flames fans did too. <laughs> Robin Regeer is with us, uh, former Flames defenseman on Pinder and Steinberg this afternoon.
Uh, Reggie, you mentioned Daryl Sutter. We've had a bunch of your teammates from that 04 uh, run on in the last uh, month and a half, however long the apocalypse has been so far. Uh, just button pushing, you noted that. We had, when we had Leopold on last week, he noted that he really felt like he was a whipping boy in the locker room and that he could never do anything right in Daryl's eyes. That was your D partner, but I, I can't help but feel uh, Daryl viewed you and Leopold quite differently. What was that like? <laughs> Yeah, well, coaches. Uh, no matter what coach it is, they they always have their their you know certain players that uh, that they like and and certain players that uh, that they don't like. And you know, for Daryl, it was um, it was pretty uh, black and white. Uh, you know, he liked uh, you know for the most part uh, kind of Western Canadian or Canadian uh, kids or, or players and and people that played uh, a certain way. And uh, if if he didn't, it was pretty tough to get into his uh, into his good books. And he also uh, probably the most important thing for Daryl is he challenged guys, and he challenged some guys almost every day. And what you have to do, what you had to do, was you had to stand up for yourself. And uh, once once you did that, um, you know Daryl Daryl liked that, and he knew that uh, you know you could do it. And you know, and it just that was the way it was for, for him and, and for players that, uh, that didn't do that or didn't feel comfortable doing that. Uh, they usually had a harder time than uh, the players that, uh, that did feel comfortable. Do you have a particular Daryl moment in that playoff run where it just, whether it was off the wall or just how ready he was or his ability to get the most out of that particular group? Cause it doesn't seem like a lot of coaches could have done with the, the, that group of misfits that what he did in 04 yeah like i think uh, you know there has uh you know his his things that to focus on or you know give him a hard time about it or this or that his you know kind of facial expressions behind the bench and this and that but uh, you know daryl was probably all the best one of the best coaches ever played for um and he really understood steps real, uh, both Julie and him, and also his preparation. Like his preparation was amazing. He knew uh, all kinds of different stats, and he knew ours as well. So, you know, for the all year, and he'd been harping on us about the the, seg- the five game segments, and and we were trending okay uh, to make the playoffs. So. We're, we're thinking everything's okay, kind of leading up to it, and then all of a sudden, he calls us in one day. He's like, "Okay, well, which team do you guys think we match up best against?" And and he's like, "Well, which team? Come on!" So we spoke up and we said Vancouver in the first round, and he's like, "I agree. That's the team we want to play in the first round." You know, and and we we talked about it. So things were being set up before the the playoffs even even started that way, and then you know the. Uh, Vancouver had uh, had lost, I think, the year before to Detroit on a on a kind of a long, infamous Lidstrom shot from from yeah. uh, the the you know the blue line or you know some neutral zone. So like you know, Daryl's like, well, you know what? We need to shoot the puck, and no matter what, just shoot the puck on on this uh, Kluche, the goaltender, and do this and do that. Like all that, the the little <laughs> kind of games, the games within the game, and. Uh, he understood all all of that, and and he he just made us feel really prepared. And you know that that's just one of the small 
things that I remember, but it was it was constant. That that stuff was was constant. He was always looking at at that matchup. How can we get the most out of our own guys, our own team? How how can we take advantage of this other team and that? And, and he really understood the game uh, quite well in that regard. Take us to 2014. You had arrived via trade the season prior and then inked a two-year extension with the Kings. Uh, that would have been the peak of like California hockey as yourself, the Sharks, and the Ducks all had 100-plus point seasons. What were those uh, playoff battles like? And, and tell us about, you know, finally reaching the top of the mountain, albeit, you know, nicked up that playoffs, but winning the Cup with the Kings. Yeah, yeah, we had really good teams there, and I was I was just very happy to go to a team with a chance. That's that's all that uh, that I cared about at that point in my career. I knew I was at the tail end of my career. Um, uh, shortly after I got there, uh, we um, we ended up losing um, to the Chicago Blackhawks in the Western Conference Final that year in 2013. But Dean Lombardi liked me, and he liked to. The way uh, I was kind of fit into the team, and they were missing Willie Mitchell from the previous year because of a long-term knee injury. So he um, he did uh, sign me to an extension, and it was uh, it was actually a really uh, funny little story. With that, you know, he called me up to his office, and uh, he he said to me, um, you know, we uh, we like you, you know, we want to sign you. What do you think about three years? And uh, my agent. Uh, or my, you know, if he's listening, he'll probably shake his head. But uh, I, I just, I sat in Dean's office. I looked over at him and I said, Dean, um, for me personally, I feel like with my body and, and mentally and stuff that I can, I can play the way I'm, I, I need to and want to for two years. And, and I don't know after that. So I said, well, why don't we talk about two years rather than three? And he, he actually, he, he just looked at me. He's like, you know, I've never had a player sit in my uh, in my office and and knock a year off their own own contract proposal but i just said i'm not here to to bs you or anything like that like the, and he, he really appreciated my my honesty and we had a really good uh relationship uh for it because of that so um so yeah i ended up uh signing for a couple couple more years and you know for me i was i was lucky that it was it was the right situation like we we had a very good team that was um, that was ready to win um, every every year. I was I was there pretty much, and like you said, there were so many good teams around us though that it really is a, a bit of a crapshoot once uh, once you get into the playoffs. I I do have to ask about Calgary Daryl versus L.A. Daryl. You rejoined Daryl Sutter with the Kings. Was was he any mellower? Was he was he any different in his second go round in uh, uh, fighting for a cup, or was he the the same guy as you knew in Calgary? Well, he he wasn't um, exactly the same, but but all the fundamentals of of hockey and what he what he believed in uh, that, you know, a team needed to, to play to a strong identity and, and what that was, what, that was the same. It was his kind of delivery of it was a little bit softer. It was a little bit, uh, you know, the edges were, were rounded a little bit. And uh, I'm not sure what did that. Maybe it was those long walks on the beach. He had that nice golden, uh, golden tan when uh, he was down in, in LA, he was outside all the time. And, and you know just his ability to I think uh, get away from hockey a little bit once he left the rink and he he did go walking around or biking around 
in Southern California. He, he didn't have to talk about hockey 24-7, and, and I think that really helped him a little bit. And he, he did mellow uh, a little bit uh, with his delivery of it, but uh, the fundamentals were the same. Do you, uh, when, when you take a look back at, at winning the cup with the Kings, and I know that you got, uh, you got banged up in the first round and weren't able to play as much as you would like, but everybody talked about how important you were off the ice and, and, you know, as a, as a veteran presence on that team, take us through that and, you know, being part of a team without being able to get on the ice. What was that experience like and, and how did you approach it? Yeah. Well, um, yeah. So the first round we matched up against San Jose, uh, a team that we, uh, we felt that, uh, we actually matched up very well against. The only issue was that we didn't play very well the last five to seven games of the regular season. And that carried into the first two games of, uh, our, uh, postseason matchup against the Sharks. So we actually got, we got beat very easily games one and two in San Jose. And, uh, like, it wasn't even close, uh, completely blown out. And then Daryl kept harping on us uh, about our attitude, uh, change our attitude, change our attitude. And, and we had some very good veteran players that had, um, that had won, but also had been part of huge comebacks. So you're talking about Jeff Carter, Mike uh, Richards, who'd been in Philadelphia from the uh, – they came right. uh, back from a 3 nothing deficit. And then, uh, you know, the guys that had won there with Kopitar – uh, Dowdy, Quick, you know, you name it, Justin Williams, multiple Stanley Cup winner. So the guy just said, hey, like, let's let's turn this thing around. Let's just play play the way we can. And, and we played better in game three, still lost in overtime. So we're down 3 nothing, And then uh, and then we played better and won game four and just kept rolling after that and building momentum. So I was part of the, the, the entire first round and in that comeback, which was just an amazing amazing feeling and then uh, I was injured in the second round uh, against Anaheim and for me personally it was disappoint disappointing to be injured but that's that's part of hockey though and and you know there's so many things that that go into it you know that I was just I was I was disappointed for me personally but there I am I tried to keep the best attitude I, I could and also help out wherever you can so you you know for me I could still uh, work out and slowly get back on the ice and and attitude was very important like you know do I do I keep a good attitude and show the young players that that are sitting out or do you sit on the sidelines and mope around and, and sulk and and that which I didn't want to do so yeah for me it was pretty pretty easy and also you know you're trying to set a very good example for the younger players that are always learning. Robin Regeer is with us, uh, 2014 Stanley Cup winner. You talked about the sting of that 4 loss in seven to Tampa. You know, you, we'll be right back there soon enough. Then you get a lockout. Opportunity doesn't arise again in Calgary. Would you say that emotion and that hurt of losing was stronger than the euphoria of winning? Like, d- d- does one emotion seem bigger than the other? Um, they're they're both big. They're both big on 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 completely different ends of of the spectrum though in that um you know for for me uh personally i'd never been to played in the stanley cup uh, playoffs at all before 2004 and that was my first taste of of playoff hockey and then just to 
to have that that sort of momentum build in the city with our team and then eventually build throughout all of Canada uh, was just amazing to be a part of. But that being said, we we still fell short and failed and came within one goal but failed. So, you know, you go from this, you know, building, building uh, momentum, great feeling to complete disappointment and then not just that but then you're not able to do anything about it for over a year because you lose the the next season so that was that was really tough to to deal with and that disappointment was so big for me that it didn't truly heal until uh 2014 and dustin brown uh had had a chance to hand me the Stanley Cup. that is when it, it finally healed and i was able to also, more importantly, say thank you to um, my parents and family and everyone that was down there to, to share the, the experience with um, as well. And those, those two things uh, on the winning uh, side of it are, are things that I will always remember. But I, you know, I almost almost started bawling just when when he handed me the uh, the Stanley Cup. And you know, I, like you said, I, I was injured. I'd been injured and uh, had, had not been playing for a number of rounds. And yet there was still that much emotion uh, to be a part of something like that. Robin, we're here with us. Last one for you, Reds. You really appreciate your time today. Uh, we just had Elliot Friedman on. We mentioned you were coming up and he said, ask him about his activities with the PA. He seemed to think you were real curious about getting involved in the business of the sport. And, and what were your roles in terms of maybe a, being a team rep or getting involved in negotiations? Well, I always took a took a keen interest in um, in the NHLPA in the business of, of hockey, and uh, I was an elected player rep for what was it four or five years in in Calgary, and and I learned a lot um, being part of um, executive board uh, calls and having to make decisions. And for me, I um, took an interest in the the accounting side of it, so uh, I was on the audit committee and um, stuff that really has helped me. Uh, later on after hockey uh, as well in trying to uh, be part of uh, running a successful business. So I always took a, a very, uh, very big interest in it. And, um, you know, I, I can't really get into the details of kind of what I've been up to lately with it because, you know, really it's been a questioning attitude of of some of the stuff that's gone on at the NHLPA and some of the senior leadership and the decisions that uh, that they've made and and uh, you know for me personally I just didn't feel like they were always uh, had the the best interests uh, at heart of uh, of all the all the players and and that so um, I'd, I'd ask some questions and stuff but uh, you know ultimately uh, it comes down to they're, they're all lawyers and uh, hmm. they have a lot bigger uh, bigger uh, fun to to backstop their views than than I do so. Uh, you know, unfortunately, it didn't get anywhere because all I cared about was uh, was what's best for current and and former players, and that's all I'll I'll ever uh, care about. So it was it was a disappointing end to it. But uh, you know, I, I have no problem in asking questions and and trying to hold people accountable. We can't thank you enough for sharing some time with us today, Robin. Uh, we hope the weather gets nice and stinky hot up at the lake there soon enough, and uh, you'll be out fishing and on the boat and all that good stuff. Enjoy the summer. Oh. Oh yeah, I, I just put a new trolling motor on my uh, fishing boat yesterday, and uh, actually a new uh, new depth finder too. I got a nice uh, little fish finder on there, so I'm pumped that it's, it looks like uh, fishing will be open uh, open again this summer. I love it. Thanks, man. We'll see you later. <laughs> Thanks, Robin. Thanks, guys. Okay, bye.
Robin Erdier, joining us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. The restaurant is closed, but they remain open for pickup and delivery. 403-248-3344 and at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. Like, there's guys, Pat, that we, we should ask about what they're binge watching on TV. Gear's not that guy. <laughs> there's no way that guy's sitting inside a minute longer than he has to. He's always doing something. Yep, tiling my roof, putting the new motor on my fishing boat. <laughs> guy. Been raking for three days. <laughs> yep, not a bad uh, uh, year. He's he's uh, he's kept himself quite busy in the years after hockey. What look? I I know that the first two people that people think about during kind of that resurgent glory year time for the Flames, which I, I think was you know probably about a four or five year span that started in 04, and I know that they didn't have any playoff success after that, but they were a perennial playoff team and they won the Northwest Division. People think about Kiprasov and Aginla first and foremost, and for good reason, but they don't get to be that team. They don't have the success they had in 04 or the regular season success they'd have afterwards if it weren't for Regeer being able to be the, I, I think, you know, preeminent shut down only defenseman in the NHL. There was not never a lot of offense with that guy, but what he did against top players on the other team and what he did on both sides of the lockout where the game changed dramatically, I, I think that he'll go down from his generation of defensemen as, as one of the elite shutdown guys and one of the best to ever do that job. He was he was really, really good at it. Yeah, great to catch up. Go down memory lane and, and he talked about it. I mean the, the that to get so close in year one of your playoff career and then the euphoria a decade later like that's a long long time and he said that that pain wasn't gone until he actually hoisted the cup that's a, i'm so glad he got the opportunity to do that yep no doubt about it up next ryan pike from flamesnation.ca we'll get a scouting report on emilio peterson and a whole lot more all flames this hour it looks like as we're very much underway on a monday edition of pinder and steinberg sportsnet 960 the fan pinder and steinberg in the afternoon sportsnet 960 the fan say hello to ryan pike our monday regular from flamesnation.ca a little bit late. Apologies for that. We were uh, going down memory lane with Robin Regeer, which I'm, th- I'm, sh- I'm sure you're okay being bumped a few minutes for for a chat with Regeer. I, I mean, like, let, let's be honest. He's probably on the short list of players that, if they want to have their jersey never retired, probably will at some point. So, yeah, I, I'm uh, I'm okay for waiting for Regeer. I can uh, I can get behind that. That's a conversation for another day, but I can get behind that. Um, others might disagree, but I would be all over seeing 28 uh, raids to the rafters. That guy was a hell of a member of the Calgary Flames. Uh, there was some Flames news today. Uh, the signing of Emilio Peterson, who th- there was some question uh, either last week or the week before when we spoke, there was some question about whether or not the 2018 sixth-round pick of the Flames was going to return to NCAA hockey at Denver for a junior season or if he'd turn pro today we get that answer was that uh, a surprise to get that information today a little bit i mean you know the the flames under true living have sort of adopted uh, what's affectionately become known in you know player development circles as the detroit red wings model of you try to find value everywhere you draft and then when players get into your system one way or the other you, you let them overcook, and ideally, by the time they they take the next step, they're overripe and ready to dominate. So, I could 
I would have thought, based on him only having two years in, in the NCAA, granted, he was really good in those two years in the NCAA, but I would have thought he didn't really get a chance for a long playoff run, and you know his his production is a little bit skewed towards the you know the the power play side of things compared to five on five. So there's a little bit of room for growth for him. So I could sort of see if you're trying to tell me, okay, they're sending him back, and you know when we spoke a week and two weeks ago, I was under the impression after we had our weekly chat with Brad for Living, okay, that you know the plan was, and when we spoke with him, he emphasized the term was the plan was for him to go back for the third year originally because I think they want him to give a, get a chance to basically dominate and be confident in his game before they sort of threw him up against grown men in the American Hockey League, but. You know, he he's a guy that you know everything. You know, every time you see him play and every time you see him, see him talk, he is very confident in how he's playing to the point where you know he was the leading scorer for a really really good NCAA team this year, and he was one of the main offensive catalysts along with uh, Ian Mitchell. So, if you want to convince me, okay, they're turning him pro. Yeah, I can get I can get my head around that. I, I, I th- just based on how the Flames usually operate, I thought he'd go back for a third year, but. If he didn't go back for his third year, it isn't really, you know, a horrible surprise. It seems like something that is is a fairly logical thing to do one way or the other. Tell us about the player. What do we need to know about Emilio Peterson? What kind of player is? What are the attributes the Flames really like? Well, he's he's fast. He's he's a he's a, got a really good stride. He's you know whips. You know he's super super fast. Uh, he's elusive. Uh, he's I would I would describe him to people who haven't seen him play as Imagine Gaudreau's wheels a little bit bigger and maybe a little bit less creative offensively. I mean, Gaudreau in his first two years in the NCAA was, for lack of a better term, terrifying because he could hurt you in so many different ways. With Patterson, he's he's not quite as dynamic as Gaudreau, but he also hasn't played as many games in North America. I mean, I think he's still very much figuring out what he is, and I think the challenge for him next year will be you know, he was used by by uh, Den- by the University of Denver in a lot of you know favorable situations, a lot of power play time, a lot of you know ozone starts. He was he was he played their top line, so he played against good players. But they did what they could to make life easy on him because he's one of the guys that was so good offensively and a big key to their offensive success. So I think what's going to be interesting next year to see what Kale McLean and the crew does, for, assuming that he ends up in Stockton, is figuring out how they round out his game because, you know, is he, you know, a, a cracking 200-foot player? Probably not. Is that something he needs to work on to be, you know, a, a, an offensive force in the NHL? Yeah, probably. He probably, you know, if you if he wants to do what he does at the NHL level, he probably needs to round out his game a little bit. But, you know, the, the AHL is a good league to round yourself out because, you know, if you look at how the Flames have done the last couple of years, you know, they, they brought along guys like Glenn Godden, like, you know, I think Matthew Phillips stylistically is sort of a similar player in terms of being guys that aren't physically massive but are just so smart and so dynamic and figuring out ways to sort of use the things that they do well to, you know, improve their other side of the game. So. We'll see what happens. He's uh, he's an exciting player to watch. He's one of those guys that, you know, he'll he'll erupt for like you know two or three points in the game, and you'll wonder, you know, oh, I, I, I noticed he was trying some stuff earlier in the game, and then he just makes adjustments and figures things out. So he's he's a very smart player, and it's going to be really interesting to see how he transitions. Listed as a center, but primarily played wing at Denver, and is is that what the expectation would be going forward as a pro, at least in the uh, in the early going? 
I think so. And I think a lot of it sort of probably depends on what happens with the Stockton bunch because they have a few, you know, UFAs who could come back and maybe they'll they'll go elsewhere. So, you know, the the primary center, the guys who played a lot of center this year, you know, Luke Phillip, Len Godden, Matthew Phillips to a certain extent, you know, those guys are all like they're going to be back. Uh, both Adam Rzichka and Martin Pospisil have played center at, at times in their in their junior careers, but n- both of which they were primarily used as wingers this year, but had to play a little bit of center. So, you know, depending what happens with Byron Fraze, who is uh, you know a, a heavy lifting center for the Stockton Heat last year, depending who comes back, he'll probably get some reps at center. But I think for for the first year, they're probably going to really you know start him out on the wing, put him with a good, reliable center who can mentor him a bit, and then sort of see where things go. But you know, that said, if he you know in a month in, if he blows the doors off the AHL and people are like, who the hell is this kid? Maybe that's the point where you say, okay, you know, training wheels are off. Go to center. Um, th- it's funny you bring up the American League depth and what's happening in Stockton, and you've you've been doing a little bit of a, a dive there, and we know that Peterson, who is a sixth round pick, is going to most likely join them for next season. Lots of uh, lots of drafted and developing content in Stockton, but. Not a lot of high-end draft picks. There's, they've they've started to really hit on some of these later round picks, haven't they? Yeah, I mean, you know, if you if you look at the the players who are under contract, who are who, who are restricted free agents, who look like they're going to be back. Uh, you know, Tyler Parsons is probably going to be in Stockton next year with John Gillies becoming a Group Six free agent. So the likely tandem in Stockton next year is a second-round pick in, in Parsons and the undrafted Archim Zagadulin. Uh, who knows how they're going to split the starts there, but I think you know that that's that's fairly typical. You know, uh, you know, a European project guy and a you know highly touted uh, prospect. That's how the Flames tend to operate these days. But if you look at the rest of them, I mean, you know, uh, depending what happens, you saw Valimaki. If Valimaki goes to the NHL, then he'll be probably be given every chance he can to make the NHL team out of camp because he's you know he was so good before his injuries that I think you've got to see what he has. But you know, uh, Carl Johan Lerby is undrafted. Connor Mackey, undrafted. Colton Poolman, undrafted. Alexander Yellison, undrafted. Uh, the rumored signee, uh, Johannes Kinval, also undrafted. So that's potentially five brand-new faces, none of which – or four brand-new faces, but five bodies in Stockton, none of which are drafted. And if you look at the forward group, there's, you know, Peterson is a sixth-rounder. Luke Philp wasn't drafted. Itu Tolola was a sixth. Uh, Martin Pospisil and Adam Rzichko, both fourths. Dmitry Savgarati was a seventh. Glenn Godden was a fourth rounder who went back in and wasn't claimed. So if you want to be technical, he's a zero with rounder. Uh, Matthew Phillips is probably, you know, him and Godden are knocking on the door for NHL jobs. Another sixth rounder, you know, even, you know, Justin Kirkland, who, you know, what was not qualified by the natural predators after his entry level deal. Like he was a third rounder, I think in 2014 or something like that. So, you know, the flames, you know, it's, it's sort of the chicken and the egg kind of thing. Cause under Daryl Sutter, the flames, frequently traded first, seconds, and thirds to try to upgrade their positions. And, you know, we can debate the merits of all you want, but, you know, the mindset is always, well, if you're trading your high picks, you damn well better be good at hitting on your later picks. And all due respect to the scouts and the players involved, they weren't very good under Daryl Sutter finding value in the late rounds. They occasionally hit on some fourths and fifths, you know, but, you know, the Brodies and the Furlins of the world are by far the exception. But if you look at how the Flames has been doing, you know, the first few years under Brad True Living, they nailed their first and second round picks. I mean, you know, you got Kachuk, you got Bennett, you got, uh, you know, Dubé. you know, Valimaki looks pretty good. You Dubé, like Parsons, 
you know, he had a great year in the, in the coast, and we'll see how he does. He's, I still think he needs a, a full year without an injury to sort of really get a sense of what he is. But I think the nice thing is they've been able to get value on these late-round picks. I mean, you know, in 2015, they did not have a first-round pick. They, tra- they, they did some great work with trades, but they traded a first and two seconds away to get Dougie Hamilton, and then they traded an extra third so they could trade up to get uh, Oliver Shillington. But out of a draft where they did not really pick at all in the first, you know, what, 45, 50, I think when they, by the time they came to the podium to draft uh, Rasmus Anderson, you know, a round and a half had gone. And yet they got Rasmus Anderson, who played top pairing minutes at times this year. You saw that, uh, you know, uh, Oliver Shillington was a regular this year. Uh, you know, Andrew Manjupani might have been the best kept secret in the league. So in a draft where you had no first round picks, you got three regulars out of it. The 2016 draft starting looked good. You know, sure they nailed the the first two rounds. You know, in terms of Dubé and Kachuk, but also you know you're getting you're getting a lot of value in the later rounds with guys like Matthew Phillips. You know, the 2017 draft, sure you get you know you get Valimaki, but you're also finding some value later on. So you know, 10 years ago the Flames were bad at picking early and bad at picking late, and as a result they really really had a hard time finding useful depth. But now I mean, you know that they're they're hitting on their late round picks to the point where they can take flyers on, you know, Zagadulins and, you know, Mackies and Kinvalls and all these kind of undrafted sort of project guys because they think they have the depth that if these guys don't work out, they have options. I mean, you and I just, just in the last 30 seconds, you know, you know, Peterson might not play in the NHL next year, but I think if he has a good transition, he has a chance. I'd be shocked if Luke Philp doesn't get games in at some point. I'd be shocked if Zab Garodny doesn't get games in. Heck, next year you're probably looking at Godden or Phillips or maybe both of them getting games in. And those are guys that, you know, one guy they picked up off the scrap heap when St. Louis didn't qualify him. And, you know, they got Phillips in this sixth round and he was a point-per-game player in the dub. I mean, we're at a point now where, you know, the Flames have been very good at uh, – finding inefficiencies in the system, whether it be guys who are a little bit smaller or guys who, you know, maybe have, you know, a little bit of a weird deficiency in the game, the thing they can work around. But, you know, they've been able to stock their coverage a ton without really expending a lot of draft assets. With Ryan Pike of FlamesNation.ca joins us Mondays on the program. You mentioned it while going through kind of the depth that the Flames have been able to accumulate in Stockton. Uh, Johannes Kinval, who the Flames have been linked to, Elliot Friedman, uh, made that link on Friday. The Flames are just uh, waiting now to finalize the transfer agreements and such with, with Sweden and the IIHF. What do we know about Kinval, the uh, right-side defenseman out of Sweden? Well, he uh, he was at development camp last year, and people who – hadn't you know people with no uh, no idea who this kid were was were chattering about it like he was he was he did not look like a 21 22 year old walk on he looked like a really assured guy uh, and you know he's he's only played 3 years of pro which you know he's relatively inexperienced but you know as a 20 year old he was a pretty good defenseman in the secondary swedish league last year he transitioned to the the SHL and had a really good year and then this year, he doubled his point total from the year before. So in what's probably considered the number two, three, or four league in the world, depending on, on the year or the talent level, he was the second-best offensive defenseman in the entire league at 22. So the kid can play. You know, is, is he going to be, you know, a, a two-way shutdown guy? Uh, probably not. I mean, he's he's not huge. So the physicality of being a shutdown guy probably won't jive with his style. 
And honestly, when you have a guy that can score as much as he does at the at the, the Swedish level, you probably want to figure out a way to uh, help uh, make him one of the guys who helps your transition game. But, you know, in terms of how the game is going, I mean, you know, if you look at some of the, the types of players the Flames have been going towards, I mean, you know, Kinfall can skate and he can move the puck really well. And he's a good, he's one of those guys that connects really well between his zone and the offensive zone. And that's one of the things the flames a did not have a ton of last year at times and B love to have, because you can never have too many, you know, puck moving guys. So we'll see how he does. I think it's, uh, it's him and uh, Alexander Yeltsin right now, as far as uh, right shot defensemen on two way contracts or, presumably will be when uh when slash if that contract gets finalized so it's it's a very low risk proposition you know he's he's young he can skate and he's one of those guys where you know like i said if if it doesn't work out i mean look at the work they've done this summer they you know they presumably have uh oliver shillington coming back they got valamaki they got connor Mackey. you know they have they have a lot of options on the blue line and i think it's going to give them a lot of flexibility going forward in terms of you know, even if a few of these guys pan out, they're going to have a lot of interesting options. Well, what's your feel as to whether or not the the team that Kinval has been linked to uh, is going to be playing games here before the end of the summer? Does does what you're hearing from around the league give you some hope that we might get some NHL hockey before, say, next season starts going? I'm thinking so. I don't know what it's going to look like. I think it'll be weird. I mean, there's no chance in hell we're going to, unfortunately for the folks listening, no chance in hell that you're going to be in person for live hockey this, you know, for the foreseeable future, just because of the way of the world. But I think, you know, as some of these hotspots sort of get stamped out and things start getting going, I think, you know, I think the, the four city six to eight team playoff clusters could work out pretty well. Uh, I think what form hockey we see will probably depend on how much, how much calendar time we have left once uh, the the tentative green light goes, and so it's gonna be it's gonna be, you know you know we've, we've much much like how you know like you you remember we were at the rink that week before the the shutdown where yep. you know it went from Saturday morning getting to you know us whispering hey did you hear about San Jose they they closed the locker room last night that's weird turn into the flames closing the locker room, turn into everyone closing the locker room. It happened in a hurry, and then all of a sudden there's no hockey at all. So within the span of, I think, four days, a lot happened. And conversely, I think it's going to be very similar in the other direction where once things look like they're going to you know, gonna go, it's going to go quickly. So you know, from what I'm hearing, there's I would be shocked if there's not still close to a dozen different scenarios being mapped out depending on building availability, who can make it where, when, how much time they have. So we're, it's going to see, we're going to see, it's going to be kind of crazy. And I think we're all going to get, have to wrap our heads around it because, you know, will we all be covering games remotely? I don't know, probably. I, I don't know what it's going to look like, but I think, you know, for, especially for those of us, you know, who've, uh, you know, a lot of our lives are structured on hockey, fans, media, and, and other people alike, It'd be so nice to have, you know, a, a distraction left. You know, I think a lot of us would be very happy to be trapped at home for another month or two if we knew we had hockey to, to fall back yeah. on for a little bit too. Well, you have been uh, pumping out the content at flamesnation.ca. You're continuing your top 40 Flames countdown. I've seen Damon Lanko make an appearance. TJ Brody has made an appearance. Uh, so you've got that. What else is kicking at Flames Nation right now? 
Well, we're uh, we we celebrated the stage university yesterday, uh, a day a day late to celebrate uh, Maddie Stajan's uh, series clinching goal in 2015. And so later this week, we're going to take a look down memory lane because Stajan is only one of 14 players in the entire Flames franchise history to advance them to the next round. So we're going to look at the circumstances of some of the next goals uh, and see you know if there's any commonalities. There's, there's always there's always a few. This will be a spoiler for everybody. Uh, there's been 16 goals by 14 guys, and Marty Jelena has three of them. So nobody has more than one other than Marty Jelena. So if you're expecting to see a lot of repeat names, uh, I'm sorry, you won't. But there's some interesting names, too. I mean, there's some, some obscure flames that people probably don't remember being flames on the list, and there's some franchise favorites. I mean, I think you're, you'd be, you're not going to be shocked to see some of your favorite all-time flames on, on the game-winning goal list. So that'll it'll be a nice, fun thing. And uh, – Tomorrow, we're going to have a, a breakdown of the entry level, actually, of the, the standard player contract as we just finish up our uh, our CBA school series. Uh, there's a lot of stuff in in the uh, – Pat, if you're an, an NHL player, do you know that you're expressly forbidden from playing baseball, lacrosse, soccer, and other sports professionally unless given express written permission by your club? I did not. I did not know that, but that does not shock me. It, there's a lot of things in there that that you'd be like, huh? It's weird they need to write that down, but it makes a lot of sense. What else is in there? So there's a lot of there's a lot of weird stuff, and we'll get into some of the the fun weird stuff in the the standard player contract tomorrow. Good stuff, Mr. Pike. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you, pal. See you, buddy. That's Ryan Pike of FlamesNation.ca on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. The bar may be closed to patrons during these trying times, but they are open for business. Pickup delivery available by calling 403-248-3344. That's 248-3344. I haven't done it since, I believe, Wednesday of last week. Uh, we'll bring it back today. We still need to uh, We still need to get uncomfortable and uh, learn things that we never wanted to know. Wild Card Wednesday on a Monday. Next, it's Pinder and Steinberg, Sportsnet 960, the Let's take a spin and find out all the things we never wanted to know about our afternoon show. It's time for Wild Card Wednesday. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. I gotta be honest with you, during uh, this pandemic on uh, Pandemic Radio or the Sports Apocalypse, depending on which way uh, you like, which what you like calling it. This has become a regular thing. I've gotten to know so much about Pinder. I've gotten to know so much about logo we've been doing this every day but then you know we're like well there's been other things and we've started doing these redrafts we're like well let's let's spread it out we don't have to do it every day we've kind of settled into a nice groove doing uh doing pandemic radio so it's been it's been a while since we've done this the last time we did it right was wednesday didn't do it on thursday didn't do it on friday so figured uh might as well let's do a little wild card wednesday on a monday it's been uh, it's been very strange by the way, how much less do you like me having learned more about me over this 47-day apocalypse? It's a really good question. Um, it's weird because uh, like, we give you props for teaching your kids Star Wars. Like, that's a good thing. Yeah. But, but then there's so much else negative. Mm. All right. Well, it's a mixed bag, right? That's fair. It's kind of like how Elliot felt about you today. Yeah, yeah, mixed bag. How Good. old are we, Ryan? 
Uh, by the way, if you missed Elliot Friedman, he will uh, join us before the top of the hour around 4.40 p.m. We will hear from NHL insider Elliot Friedman, a ton from Frege on the restart of the NHL, the draft, and a whole lot more that's still coming up this hour. But uh, we're in the Wild Card Wednesday Casino. We've got our uh, big slot machine with its five categories, pop culture, personal life, career, sports, and wild card. We all take a turn to ask a question, and then we all answer. Of course, Logan Gordon has been our designated leadoff man and uh, is stepping into the batter's box right now. Logo, the floor is yours, my friend. Wild card. All right, boys. Who is the most annoying person you follow on Twitter? Oh, what a question. This isn't going to go well. And there's a few well, people let's... who follow on Twitter but have been heavily muted so as to annul their annoyingness. Um, yeah. This is a bit of a tiptoe here, Patty. Yeah, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to tiptoe away from people that I know uh, and that I'm a <laughs> colleague with, so I'm not going to mention any of the the people that might uh, show up that uh, would would it would get back to them. Um, I only ha- I don't I don't have a lot of muted accounts to be perfectly honest with you. Um, I'm trying to think who is a like what has been an unfollow in recent times because most of the annoying oh. accounts logo. <laughs> have been unfollowed or muted. I'm going to go take a look well, at a uh, list of muted accounts here. There there are some very famous and important people, depending what circles you run in, that I absolutely would love to delete their social media. But those aren't the types of people to be outing on radio, even in a pandemic when there's no sports and we're on a sports talk station. Like, who are you talking about, Ryan? Well, I don't know. Like, maybe prominent business folk or perhaps hall of fame snubbed flames <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm trying to think that's a really good question logo and i'm having a hard time coming up with an answer that doesn't get me uh in a lot of trouble um Did I, say <laughs> I will <laughs> i will go with I was going to say Boomer, but I actually really like Boomer's Twitter because it's really like it's completely like of of the 100 tweets that you'd get, about two of them are sports related, um, mm-hmm. but I like it. So uh, I, I can't go with Boomer. Um, I'm scrolling through right now. I'm going to go I'm going to go with um Six sixty news, just because it tweets about news, and I don't, I don't that care about news. Is a cop out. That is the biggest cop. It absolutely is a cop out. It's too tough of a question. I'm sorry, it is. But I'll say this: if your social media account is only there to yell at the top of your, the lungs, one point of view on the earth, and to not engage nicely with other people, but just to spew your opinion upon others, that it's the only one that matters. I really, I get exhausted quickly, and you're going to get muted. No matter what that opinion from whatever vantage point it is. Is that fair, Pat? Yeah, that's probably fair. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll uh, somebody threw a, uh, threw a couple names out on Twitter. I'll, I'll, uh, I'm not a, 
not a big Damian Cox Twitter follower fan. Not a uh, that uh, that got a big time unfollow. I uh, you know there is uh, there's a screenshot that that goes around every once in a while that uh, you know didn't get him in uh, enough trouble as perhaps it could have. Um, and I always find like the contrarian view and the fact that he is condescending if you don't believe in his uh, wholly enlightened contrarian view. Uh, I'll, 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 I, it took a little while to get there, but I'll go, I'll go Damian Cox. Not a big fan. Not a big fan of that Twitter follow well, at all, and that's why uh, he's no longer followed. Uh, I got I got two. There, one is definitely a colleague, and I've been waiting to air this out over the airways for a long time. Uh-oh. Uh oh. Jordan Tomiyama, stop tweeting. <laughs> oh stop. yes, stop, bro. How did I not get there? One of you your are the tweets. Th- he is the worst Twitter follower in the world. One of your tweets got Jimmy. big about Kawhi potentially going to a meeting with the Raptors, and now. Any social event or big thing, he's got to tweet out 20 gifts in hopes that it goes viral. I have muted you. You are the worst Twitter follow ever. Nothing of good content comes from you. And Charleston Hughes is another one on Twitter who just (laughs) spews out stats about himself and how good he is and all these uh, things about how he should have won this award or he's this and that in the CFL. I've had enough of it, but Jordan Tomiyama, you're first on my list. More good stuff on the oh, text line. Epic. Dustin epic Penner. He's had some full on crazy, crazy, crazy episodes on the Twitter machine. Uh, who was it last week that had a tough go? Was it? Oh, I don't want to screw up the name because I don't want to. Um, anyway, yeah, it's um, some of the former athletes out there think that they can. Well, you know, I was good at sports, so clearly I can weigh into this. Uh, this very racially charged debate and lay my opinion down. Is it Kurt Schilling? Kurt Schilling, one of those guys on Twitter? Is he one of those? Yeah, he's bad. I can't believe oh, you guys didn't go to uh, You're thinking about Brandon Prust and, and what it he was played in. It was I Prust. I just yeah. didn't want to say yeah. his name if it wasn't him because that's the last thing you want to associate someone with is something they didn't do that's not good. But Prusty had a rough week last week for sure. He did indeed. That was a really uncomfortable but incredibly strong question from Logan Gordon. Yeah, that's um, true. Who continues to nail it out of the park as the leadoff hitter. He's our leadoff guy. Well done. I have uh, I have been riding the coattails of Logan uh, over the last little bit. I'm ready to go. Let's uh, let's go with question number two. What do we got? Pop culture. Um, okay, I've been waiting for this one. It might take a little bit of uh it might take a little bit of jogging in your memory. But um can you give me a song lyric of a song that you really liked or always sang along to that you have completely been butchering the words to or oh. did butcher the words to for the longest oh, time? Dear. I love this song. And then you're singing along, you're like, Those, that's not the words. That's what it might sound like, but that's completely wrong. Oh. Give me a song that you've always butchered words to. So I'm going to adjust it just a tiny bit, but it's the exact same point. It's totally what you're getting to. On the morning show, which I worked for five years, you know, there would – Every once in a while, we'd get a hip-hop artist through for, for Artist of the Day. And I remember saying on air one time, word is bomb, which is not a thing that uh, hip-hop artists would say. They would say, word is bond, as if to say, if you've got word my word. Word is bomb? 
I thought it was word small, which is like all over the place in hip hop. And the text line immediately just eviscerated me. And I was like, oh, like forehead in my hands, elbows on the desk. Like, I'm such a tool. Why did that have to come out over airwaves? And I'm like the young guy that listens to hip hop at the station. And everyone's just like, what are you doing? <laughs> Word is that was bomb. One. I love that. Okay. I thought it was word is uh, bomb, but it's not what it is. Word is bomb. That's a good one. Logo, do you got one or do you want me to go? Uh, I, I think I got one. Uh, I remember when I was younger, My I have three sisters in my family. And so they were always listening to, to different music and all the time in the house. And I remember, you guys remember, I'm going to play it for you because it's hard to explain without hearing it so i'm gonna play it for you and this is the song and i always got the lyrics wrong to this stupid song okay oh is it if i if i were blue i would die if i were green i would die that's the one that's the classic (laughs) one of my generation i would fight with my sisters i was like he's saying if he was green he would die and they were like no you're an idiot the song is literally titled blue you moron and i didn't know that because you know well, it's, ca- it's, it's, it's called it, so. Blue, and then in brackets, it's Dabba Dee Dabba Die. It's like actually what the song is named. Because I'm with you. I always thought yeah. for the longest time, I thought it was, yeah, I'm blue, and if I was green, I would die. Like, it makes sense. I mean, he hates green. He's, he's blue. Those aren't he's the lyrics at all. That's a good one. Okay, Patty. It's a bad song, but a good, a good, uh, a good nomination. I am a huge Blink One Eighty Two fan. Um, they're they're up there with uh, two or three other bands as as my favorite of all time. Um, and so this is embarrassing because I'm a huge Blink fan. But uh, on their you know their, their first massive hit was off of the album Dude Ranch, uh, and it was Damn It. The song was Damn It, and. The lyric is, uh, that, that ends the chorus is, well, I guess this is growing up. And it's talking about all the, the stupid things he did and all the mistakes and being a teenager and such. For whatever reason, and it makes no sense, but I always thought that the, the lyric was, well, I guess sis is growing up, and he was singing about his sister. And I remember I was in my car with two friends, and, and you know, it was, it was still pretty novel to be driving when you're 17 years old, and I was driving for lunch somewhere in high school and, and in, my, uh, in my dad's car, and I have the, the discman hooked up to the radio and just blasting, damn it, and I was singing, well, I guess sis is growing up, and my friends are like, what the hell are you saying? I'm like, I'm singing the song. I'm like, that's not what he's saying. It's I guess this is growing up. Well, how does that make sense to the rest of the song? He hasn't mentioned his sister once. He's singing about himself. Why would he be thinking about his sister? Uh, so that was the, that's the one for me. Well, I guess sis is growing up. Nope, idiot. It's uh, well, I guess this is growing up. Uh, that that's the one for me. Whew, good question. Another good one there. I like that. <laughs> uh, Everyone's got those, by the way. Like that's the. Um... Hold me closely, Tony Danza. Like everyone's got a something like <laughs> like that, life, right? Like we uh, all know. There's there's thousands of those. Oh, you ready to go, Rye? Yeah, let's do this. Good start. Really good start. Some good text too. Sports. All right, guys. Uh, the pandemic has completely altered the finales of the NBA and the NHL. It threatens a Major League Baseball season a CFL season, and we'll see what it means for the NFL. But what storyline are we being robbed of right now that we should be watching unfold? 
we should be watching right now the defense of uh, the NBA championship for the Toronto Raptors and the the run without Ka- uh, without Kawhi Leonard and we we should be we should be talking about can the Raptors get back to the promised land without Kawhi can Nick Nurse with with how how strong he is as a coach uh, delve game plan uh, develop game plans and, and have the type of matchups that he wants against some of the other really good teams in the Eastern Conference and and can the Raptors be the sum of their parts and still be an elite team in the playoffs without that superstar player in Kawhi. Has Pascal Siakam taken enough of a big step? Can Kyle Lowry uh, shoulder a little bit more of the offensive load? That's the story we should be talking about. Is is Milwaukee the team to beat, or are the defending champs minus Kawhi Leonard the team to beat in the Eastern Conference? That's the story we're getting robbed of right now. It's a huge one. Where are you going, Logan? Uh, I'm going local, and I'm going one that is purely selfish. I've never seen a playoff battle of Alberta, and we got probably the best series of matchups. The games were good. The fights were awesome. We had a goalie fight. Uh, We had literally everything this year, and not to mention they still had another game in the regular season to go, and – we were looking at, I think, it was all leading towards a first-round matchup between Edmonton and Calgary. They were separating from the wild cards. Vegas looked like the clear runaway at first, and they were going to get the wild card spot out of the Pacific Division, and we were going to get round one Battle of Alberta this season with both teams actually being relevant. I was looking forward to it. The way the series had gone all year, it was going to be absolutely insane at the Dome for those games. Uh, I am so disappointed we haven't seen it yet, and I'm hopeful that we'll get some version of it, although I probably won't have the same feel to it after the hatred they had a few months ago. So I wrote down about six of these storylines, and you guys have taken two of my top three. Those are great, great answers, and they're exactly what we should be you know, foaming over and filling the airwaves with every day, is, every day from, you know, I guess, one till six, never mind two to five. Uh, but the stupid pandemic is stole from us. Here are a couple others that I think some very on the nose and others the sneaky, really good that we'd forgotten about a bit. On the nose is the Tampa Bay Lightning. They trade two first-rounders at the deadline. They load up. They're coming off one of the most dominant regular seasons in the sport a year ago, only to get swept. What can the Lightning do to make amends for last year's four-game exit in the playoffs? I thought that was a fascinating story, especially given how much they gave up at the deadline. But maybe the best one we're missing, guys, the Houston Astros beanball revenge tour would be a month in right now in the major leagues. And they would be getting booed their first game every time they're on the road in a series to capacity crowds and getting booed every at-bat and would be getting hit with fastballs in the ribs. Once a game, like this was very, very intense in spring training when nothing is intense we're missing out on the houston astros getting embarrassed hurt bruised and thrown at like they should be for that cheating in 2017 that's a very good one and something i I do think i I miss i wanted to see them getting hammered for that i wanted uh i wanted to see the houston astros uh 
I, I think they're being railroaded. They didn't cheat, and I wanted to see them uh, be vindicated and justified. Stop it. Cut his mic. <laughs> I don't believe that by any <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. Uh, good. Those are three solid questions. You don't do Wild Card Wednesday for a little bit. You get some solid questions. There's another edition of Wild Card Wednesday. This has been Wild Card Wednesday on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. I do like some of the texts at nine six zero nine six zero. We taught we we read a couple of oh, them on the uh, worst or most annoying Twitter follow on the uh, the bad lyrics that you have been singing long your entire life. A few of them, um, ACDC's uh, "Dirty Deeds." Uh, it's "Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap." Jamie writes in, "My best friend growing up thought it was Dirty Deeds and the Thunder Chief." <laughs> that one's good. Thunder like Chief. <laughs> Close, yeah, I can see that. Uh, on the Backstreet Boys song where he says, am I sexual? I thought it was, I'll sex you out for the longest time. Hmm. Doesn't really know what that is. Uh, that's Sounds from Backstreet's Boys. Sex you out. I, I guess I can kind of <laughs> see it. Um, I'll never forget at an Iron Maiden concert in junior high, I looked over and saw a student from my school on the floor, both hands up, doing the devil horns, yelling, cannot play with matches. The real lyric, (laughs) can I play with madness? (laughs) Cannot play with matches. That is badass. Screams Iron Maiden. Uh, Good stuff on the text line. 960960. Okay, Elliot Friedman before the top of the hour. Uh, we'll do a little This Date in Flames history when we come back. Top of the hour, it is uh, the one and only Ron McLean and another edition of In Conversation. It's Pinder and Steinberg on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Calgary guys talking Calgary sports. Pinder and Steinberg are only on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Let's go back in time and celebrate the amazing history of the Calgary Flames. Today in Flames History starts starts now. On April 27, 2004, the Flames and Red Wings went to the Dome for Game 3 of the 2004 Western Conference Semifinal. The series was tied at 1 after Detroit took Game number 2, 5-2, like he did in Game number 1. Robert Lang opened the scoring in Game 3, just 1 minute and 17 seconds into the second period. Here's Lipson now off a four-point game in game two back in Detroit. Set it. Lang trotted over the perfect pass and got it back and scores. Robert Lang gives Detroit the one-nothing lead. The Flames would respond two minutes later as Stefan Yell scored to tie the game up. Shella is checked there. Clark joins the party. Shot score! Yell to Two minutes after that, Jerome McGinley gave Calgary the lead. Shanahan out to greet him. Here's Lombardi. Down low. Shanahan, good shot, score! It's McGinley from Shanahan. And the Flames take a 2-1 lead. Yuri Fisher would tie the game midway through the period. Here's Fisher off the draw. Let's go, and he scores! have tied it at two off a clean face-off win. But 40 seconds later, Sean Donovan would give the Flames the lead and they would not relinquish it, winning the game 3-2 and taking a 2-1 series lead. The potential for sweeps. Not this one. A short of at least five games. Here's Donovan's shot score! Sean Donovan right back. 
have a 3-2 lead. Today in Flames history, celebrating 40 years of Flames hockey in Calgary on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Amazing to think that in that series in 2004 against the powerhouse Red Wings that they never trailed in that series. Uh, They won game one, they won game three, they won game five, and of course would win that series in game six on the one nothing Marty Jelena double overtime winner. Crazy to think that against that team they never once trailed against the Detroit Red Wings. Wings were on the back foot the entire series. Couple of other notes uh, on this date in 2006. Flames Mighty Ducks game three of uh, their series. Um, uh, game four of their series, rather, in the first round. Flames were up two games to one. And in one of the huge turning points of this series, Sean O'Donnell scores in overtime to give the Anaheim Ducks the win and uh, win it by the, win it by a final score of 3-2. Flames would have had a 3-1 series lead on the Ducks had they been able to find a way to win that game in overtime. But O'Donnell scores, and the Ducks tie the series at two games apiece. Of course, they'd win that series in seven, one of the uh, worst Game 7 performances that we've ever seen. Uh, and on this date in 2009, Flames were ousted in six games by the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, the Hawks had won Game 1 and 2 at home. Flames tied the series uh, again. Game three and four at the Dome. Hawks would blow the Flames out in game five at the United Center and take a 4-1 win back at the Dome in game six. That's your trip down memory lane on this date in Flames history. Uh, top of the hour in conversation with Ron McLean, Maple Leafs defenseman Tyson Berry, and frontman of the Lumineers, Wesley Schultz, will join Ron McLean on the program tonight. Don't forget about the 7 p.m. salute uh, to our essential workers, our front line workers it happens downtown and anywhere at seven o'clock get out on your front lawn your deck your balcony whatever uh bang some pots and pans uh give a round of applause for our health care workers our doctors our nurses people's working people working in hospitals grocery stores truck drivers whatever the essential frontline workers deserve the salute and every week we are going to be saluting one of those workers ourselves, putting a spotlight on one person who has been keeping this thing going, and they're going to get a great prize pack from Wild Rose Brewery. Nominate an essential worker at 960-960. Have the word salute and who that essential worker is, and they could win that prize pack from Wild Rose. Wild Rose Brewery wishes you and yours health and safety during these challenging times. We support you, the hardworking characters of Calgary and the rest of Alberta. Elliot Friedman's next on Pinder and Steinberg. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. This is Pinder and Steinberg. Time to hear from our NHL insider, Elliot Friedman. All right, Elliot Friedman, as you are used to, Mondays here on Pinder and Steinberg. We had a chance to catch up with our NHL insider here this afternoon. What's the latest on the NHL restarting? What are you hearing about plans and uh, different buzz around the league right now? Well, I think there's just there's a lot of talk and sketching going on. You know, you'll notice that uh, on the weekend, Adrian Wojnarowski, who's a great NBA reporter for ESPN, said that, you know, facilities open May 1st, and already now that's been pushed back to May 8th. So I think it just shows you that for all these leagues, it's, it's a puzzle, right? And you're constantly getting new pieces. Um, you know, I, I do think the NHL would like, if they could, to open up their facilities sometime in the middle of May for small workouts and small skates. And, you know, 
And for example, like, let's just say for argument's sake, if the Flames were to open up their facility for that, if you're an NHL player who doesn't play for the Flames, but is in the Calgary area, if you want to go there and skate and work out, you'd be allowed to. I think that is kind of the next thing the NHL was looking at, and there's a hope they could do it sometime in the middle of May, late May, but there's no guarantees, Pat. And that's kind of where we are now in terms of hoping for the next phase. We, we've seen some different reports. I, I see that uh, former NHL or former All-Star John Scott tweeted about it today, and uh, there were a couple of reports over the weekend as well about uh, calls to players to come back some point in mid-May and uh, be back in their respective cities so they can get a potential training camp underway in June. Is, is that kind of the same as what you've been hearing? Well, there is, like, I think, yes and no. Um, the, the, the thing that John Scott tweeted about, which got a lot of attention, there is like a, I don't know if schedule is the right word, but an outline that's floating around there. It's floating around the NHL among maybe teams and players. I've, you know, it was sent to me that kind of has that timeline on it. But I don't know if that's, Actually, I shouldn't say that. It's not official. Okay. Like, it's not official. But what I do think it is, is I think some teams and players have thrown that around like this maybe could happen. But, again, like we just, shot, like we just showed with the NBA, just because someone says this is what we'd like to do doesn't mean it's going to be possible. So when John Scott tweets out that we're going to have camps on, on June 1st, I do believe that there are some people throwing around ideas at, like, could if we open up for informal and small workouts in the middle of May, could we have camps on June 1st? And I think that's a hope. But there's a big difference between a hope and some teams throwing that around and some players throwing that around as opposed to saying this this is the league or the players association saying yes mm-hmm. this is what we're going to do so i think the fairest thing to call that is kind of a rough outline that's being thrown around there but there's no guarantee what um what has to happen for the NHL to actually be able to resume the season? Like, what are some of the the main areas that they need to have uh, check marks beside the bullet points? Well, you, you need to have medical professionals say you can do it. You need to have uh, local governments willing to say that you know we'll let you do it. Those are probably one and one A, uh, and then one B is probably you know you have to be able to be able to test people. You know, as we know, one of the big issues has been testing. And I know that, you know, a lot of people in Alberta are think that you guys have done a really good job of testing compared to other people. But, you know, one I've had a couple of players say to me they're not convinced it's a good idea for them to be getting a whole bunch of tests when, you know, other people can't get them. So I, mm-hmm. I think that is a big issue, too. So I would say those are the three things right at the top of the list. Will the medical professionals let you do it? Will the governments let you do it? Is there enough testing going around that you can test everybody every day? Because you're going to have to do that. Yeah. 
when uh, and and you know we keep hearing different cities. This this could be a host city. That could be a host city. Mm-hmm. What here we are in late April. How much runway does the league have to finalize all these things? And if all the things go according to plan, and that's a big if, but what, like, how much runway do they have to say, okay, we've got it figured out, we can do this starting here? Well, I think that in a perfect world, I think they'd like to start in July in terms of playing games. I think they would like to have a training camp before July. But again, this is all wish as opposed to we know for sure. Um, I think they have a decent idea of where they could potentially play. Um, I know there was some dispute uh, at the end of last weekend about whether or not Edmonton could, would still be on the list uh, or still as a possibility. I still think they're at least looking at it. There's Vegas, there's Dallas, there's Minnesota, there's Columbus, there's Toronto. I think that those are kinds of the places they're looking at. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think, Pat, would they, I think they'd love to be able to say we can have a camp in June and we can play either start playing either Canada Day or Independence Day. Uh, but again, we don't know at this point in time. I mean, look, we're starting to see places gently reopen. Your neighbor to the east is, you know, probably the Canadian leader in trying this. Um, you know, uh, I, I think it's all going to depend on, on how this goes. Yeah. Elliot Friedman is with us. Our NHL insider from Hockey Night in Canada joins us Mondays on Pinder and Steinberg. Elliot, just a quick reaction to uh, what I guess. How are you? What's going on? I thought you were mad at me. You didn't text text me back today. When you text me and say 4.30 today, like I'm not a 12-year-old. If you, like, (laughs) if if I don't get back to you, it's fine. Like, if 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 I do get back to you, there's a problem. Yeah. What usually happens like is rather than we, we how old are we? Well, I just I, I deal with four and a half year olds like more than I deal with adults these days. This is <laughs> this is the pandemic, okay? Like I'm I'm doing bike rides, there's lots of poo poo bum bum jokes, toilet humor. Mm-hmm. I wipe poo off the floor today. So I don't know. I, how old are we? You, you how old are you? Uh forty nine. <laughs> okay. So uh, <laughs> next time I'll put a question mark at the end. It might be less demanding, okay. and then That's you'll respond okay. as promptly as you always do. Uh, we've heard the promptly three weeks. Always get the same quoted. answer, by the way. It's yes. always it's always the same answer. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Really three week training camp has taken like a bit of uh, pushback. I know uh, our good friend Justin Bourne, who has uh, come on to Sportsnet in the last season here, was saying, yeah. "Why three weeks? What could you accomplish in three that you can't in two? Is that is that buying some wiggle room for the league? Is that a, what they literally believe is to work best? Why is three weeks been settled well, on when former players don't like players who've come up and said three weeks, right? Is it so? Like, like, yeah, I, I believe that came from the players. The three weeks. Okay. Um, I, I don't know. Like, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not a player. I, I, uh, I can't. You know, the one I, I can't argue with what they say. I mean, I assume everything's negotiable, but um, I, I think the the one I think the league really agrees with the players in one particular thing: if you can, you can't go right into playoff games if you can avoid mm-hmm. it. And the players feel very strongly about that. And from what I understand, the league listened to that. I mean, three three weeks. Um, I I don't know. I mean, you know, I I think that everything could be discussed. Um, 
it's going to be tough to ramp guys up. I would guess the more regular season games you can get. And the other thing, too, is I heard that there was maybe talk about a couple of exhibition games, too, if you can. Maybe that decreases the amount of time you need to. Um, you know, I the players have said that. I mean, we'll see if that's hard and fast or not. Um, you know, I, I can't answer that for you at this time. Yeah, okay. The other one I've thought about is, you know, even if you do, let's say, complete the regular season, the schedules are going to be entirely different if we're based out of these divisional homes uh how contentious could a theoretical schedule be and are you already starting to see you know gm types start to uh you know i guess put their spin on how things should be well we already played this team a bunch and we had this one left on the calendar i mean that that's going to be something that's going to be very contentious i do i do understand that like you guys had didn't you guys have an eastern swing too they were going to yes, New York. They to were going to go three. to all three, yeah. all yeah, three New York teams. That, that's that's not happening, right? Um, yeah, so I think that that's not going to happen. I think you can expect. Um, you're, I mean, I don't know what the answer to that question is. I just know they're all going to be divisional games or teams in your hub. Um, hmm. That's one of the things that's. I mean, you know, wh- wherever you are, and whoever's with you, that's that's who you're going to play. And um, I think the other thing right now, and I don't know if anybody has a clear answer to this as we talk about this today, is is, the, is it, this probably means that there's going to be no crossover, right? What do you right. mean by crossover? Like uh, if, the wild like, card crossover? Play a, yeah. I mean, some teams are telling me that they think that it's if we play, it's going to be the. I mean, it's going to be the teams in the hub. So if those hub teams in the hub weren't divisional ones, you could theoretically be a Pacific team playing in the central hub or vice versa. I mean, that's, I don't think they really want that. Um, I think they want the Pacific teams all going to the Pacific hub. Um, Hmm. But yeah, I, I, that's one of the questions the teams have, like, are you going to let teams travel outside of the hub for the playoffs? Yeah. I would. I had one with. That's unlikely. So what? Here's one that I, I think is is the most. Uh, I would think this is keeping Gary Bettman up at night. What happens if you have an outbreak on one team that's played a bunch of teams, and we know how this thing travels without symptoms? I mean, do you get a clear sense that that's something that will have to be in place? Here is the protocol. If this happens, then this, or is it something where well, they'll just have I, I, to adjust on the fly? Absolutely, I think so. Absolutely, I think all those questions are going to be discussed for sure. Absolutely. I mean, basically, that's what we're facing. That's not just an NHL question. That's that's right. a societal question as we start to reopen here. Yeah. You know, like if you take a look at where a lot of these uh, outbreaks are happening. Um, nursing homes, unfortunately, factories, unfortunately, uh, hospitals, unfortunately. But we know of situations where, for example, in soccer matches, um, they were they caused a lot of cases, right? Yeah. So you know what, you know what's going to happen if something like that happens here? Absolutely. Like you know, I think one of the biggest questions leading into it is, um, you know, Ryan honestly is going to be, what about players who have underlying conditions? What about players who are diabetic? You know, sure. there's at least two players in the league, Brian Boyle and Phil Kessel. 
Um, you know, they've battled cancer before. There's players in the league who are asthmatic. You know, how are they going to feel about all of this? I think those are very fair questions, and um, I don't know if we know the answers at this time. Would the league require a waiver, or would a PA league agreement be enough to get over that hurdle legally? Well, I, I think to me it's almost the other way around. Like, would you want to play? Yeah. Right. So how much salary are you willing to forego for your health? Or the, the, well, the threat the thing of is, like, I mean, should you be – I mean, now, I haven't discussed this, but I'm just talking about this with you right now, Ryan. But, like, if you're a diabetic, should you be forced to give up your salary because you can't play? I don't think so. Ooh, to me, that's that, if you're on long-term LTIR. Yeah. Huh. Like, seriously, like, are you telling me that uh, someone who has that issue is going to have to give up their salary because they can't play? I mean, that hardly seems right. I have no idea. Yeah, I, I, I honestly, this is why we ask you the questions because <laughs> I, I, we don't have a bloody clue at all. I, I do think that's one of the big issues. I, 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 I do. Um, you know, I think, you know, if you, there are certain, like, we don't know a lot about this disease. We're still really learning about it. Um, and, but we do know it seems to attack, uh, certain kinds of people, um, much more significantly. And, you know, high blood pressure is clearly one of those. And, you know, the other thing somebody was saying to me is that what's the, I have to figure this out. What's the average age of coaches? Jeez. It's gotta be what? North of 50. You gotta think so. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, all of these are very fair questions. Elliot Friedman with us. Monday's here on Pinder and Steinberg. Uh, Mr. Friedman, what's what's the latest on the NHL draft? Is it sounding more and more like June is when this thing's going to happen? You know, that is a great question, Pat. Um, so last week when this got out, um, there were several GMs who had resigned themselves to the fact this was going to happen probably June 5th. And then there was pushback. And there was significant pushback. Okay. Like a couple of guys told me it got really nasty uh, to the point where uh, one guy told me that, you know, guys who weren't fighting back enough got in trouble. And um, I got the sense that the league was going to decide this week. But the league to this point is not given any clearance on that. Okay. Like I, I do think that after, you know, they saw the success of the NFL draft, the way it looked, um, the TV ratings it got, I think there are some people who feel very strongly that it should happen in early June. I think the GMs hate the idea. I, I know there's a couple who told their staff we're going to have to deal with this because if the commissioner decides he wants something, he'll do it. But I do know the pushback has been pretty fierce. What did you take from the NFL draft over the weekend? Anything that jumped out at you in terms of how things might go if the NHL were to do their draft in a very similar format? I would assume it's going to look very similar to that. Um, I want to know which NHL players, NHL draft picks, going to show up in a robe. Uh, I love that. I saw saw that guy from Alabama in the robe. I laughed my head off. Um, I mean, there was some hilarious stuff. Like it was, 
uh, Mike Vrabel's house. Like, you know, you could really have <laughs> some interesting. You could really have some interesting stuff with that. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, like, I think there are people in the league who are like, this would be a great opportunity for us. And uh, I think the hockey people really fight it. And I understand why the hockey people really fight it. Um, but, you know, I mean, we'll see. I, it's an interesting one because if the commissioner throws his support behind an idea, he generally wins. Right. And, but there's some, there's some real pushback on this one. What can you tell us about uh, Swedish player Johannes Kinval and his connection to the Calgary Flames? Well, I think he's going to be a flame, or at least a member of the Flames organization. Um, you know, I heard you know uh, Brad Tree Living, the GM out there. Uh, he had a conference call last week where he told you about a player from Sweden who is likely going to sign after the transfer agreement is done. I am under the impression that the current Double IHF agreement and the current CHL agreement are going to extend for one more year. Like the NHL was very close to a new transfer agreement with these leagues, and I heard that's not going to happen. Um, they're going to extend the current one for a year, and they're going to extend the CHL one for a year. That's not official yet, but from what I understand, uh, that thought has been communicated. So once that's done, um, you guys will sign Kinval. And, uh, I, you know, I had I, forgotten – uh, someone sent me a note that I guess he was at your, your development camp last year. Yep, that's right. Uh, I, I had forgotten about that, but he had a pretty good year. And uh, you know what? Um, I There's nothing wrong with giving a guy a shot, but he's going to be coming out your way. The transfer agreements and, and extending those for a year as, as you're under the understanding it's going to happen, that is that – is that directly in response to the pandemic and say, hey, there's no point I negotiating think so. I think else? it's. I think it's like, you know what, let's not do anything crazy. Let's just extend this and we'll, we'll punt this down the road. What, what were some of the things when talking about a new agreement, what were some of the, the different things that were being discussed? Were you aware of what were some of the big sticking points? Well, one thing I had heard was that um, I, I – like, one thing I had heard was that some of the the money going to some of these teams, the league was the NHL was apparently willing to up it. Um, now I don't know that for sure. Um, I heard that, um, but until I get full details, I don't, I can't say a hundred percent. Okay. Last one for you. Need a puzzle update. 30,000 pieces and you know we, uh, we, uh, not we, insane. We, call, we call the timeout because I can't uh, give enough time since I'm because uh, of work. I, I can't give enough time to it. So my wife's got a couple of 2,000 she's working on right now. And this might end up being like, a, <laughs> I don't know, a down the road project. I'll tell you this it's massive. It is. Like, we opened that thing up, and we opened up the first 4,000-piece bag. And there were seven 4,000-piece bags still left. And we were sorting them, and we were trying to find the edges. You do not realize what a big job this thing is. It's not canceled. It's just paused. I don't like the NHL safety. That's right. We'll chat next week, and, uh, yeah, we'll ask you about your 2,000-piece puzzles. By the way, (laughs) I got to tell you, um, I heard great things about this uh, Patterson kid. 
Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. I heard. You uh, just had him on. Oh, he was just on. Okay. Yeah. Good um, for you. You know, it's good to see that. Uh, you know, I'll tell you this. I got. I saw his name today, and I sent somebody uh, a text who covers uh, who, who's around Denver, and they told me like that guy's a player. There's Elliot Friedman with us from earlier today. Joins us Mondays on Pinder and Steinberg. Thanks to Mr. Friedman. Thanks to Robin Regeer. And thanks to Ryan Pike. And thanks to newly signed Flames forward Emilio Peterson all joining us on the program this afternoon. All up at sportsnet.ca slash 960 right now. Here's what's coming up tonight on the station. Uh, right at uh, 5 o'clock at the top of the hour. It'll be in conversation with Ron McLean. He will chat with Tyson Berry of the Toronto Maple Leafs and frontman of the Lumineers, Wesley Schultz. Then at 6 o'clock, it is some Calgary Flames action for you as we're doing a little Flames rewind back to November 23rd in the midst of a losing skid that really could have derailed the season. Flames on the road in Philadelphia. They needed a win. We've got the call for you at 6 o'clock this evening. That's tonight for Logan Gordon and Ryan Pinder. My name is Pat Steinberg. We'll talk to you tomorrow on Pinder and Steinberg, Sportsnet 960, The Fan.